Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Number 001, Snow White and the Seven Doors. I'm your host, Sportsguy515, and on this episode, we begin our journey through the history of Disney animated feature films with the one that really started it all and changed the game forever, the first ever feature-length animated film in history, Snow White and the Seven Doors from 1937. But before we get into it, allow me to introduce my esteemed co-host. First up, you know him as the president of Ed America, but today he will be known as Gamey the Dwarf. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Eddie. Gamey, I like that. Not only do I play games, but I taste funny. <laughs> See, you know all about that, Ed. I'm just <laughs> I'm just a spectator here. <laughs> and finally with that, the co-host who today will be known as Drunky the Dwarf, based on his exploits last night on his birthday, ladies and gentlemen. JD. Oh boy, drunky. I guess uh, I guess that's deserved. I did drink quite a bit of Jaeger last night. <laughs> well, you had fun. It was your birthday, man. You gotta go wild on those days. That's it. <laughs> well, see, personally for myself, I picked Sporty as my dwarf name, although if D were here, he'd be calling me Spicky, which I don't know if that would be <laughs> appropriate for... And for seven this. people just clicked off. <laughs> <laughs> Well played, sir. Seven. Well, uh, I guess with that, before we even get into the show also, let's, I mean, if we're sounding sexier and handsomer than we did before, it's because the Skype era has officially begun. Coming to you in fantastic surround sound. In the HD. audience is listening. <laughs> Turn it up! Turn it up! <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I always like the Tiny Toon version of that. I mean, Simpsons had a great joke, but Tiny Toons was better. Where the audience gets blown away, the audience is now deaf. <laughs> I remember that, too. I mean, I haven't seen Tiny Toons in a while, but 
I mean, the Simpsons one was always like the the favorite for me. But uh, anyway, um, so if you guys remember last episode, we talked about how in uh, in 1930, Columbia Pictures signed the distribute uh, the distribution deal with Disney to distribute the Silly Symphonies and the Mickey Mouse cartoons, and that deal was good until 1936 when Disney signed a new distribution deal with RKO Radio Pictures. And for those wondering, no. RKO does not stand for Randall, Keith, Orton in this instance. So, But did the contract come out of nowhere? You know what? I think it did. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and in the time between Steamboat Willie and Snow White, um, Walt Disney gradually began introducing the cast of supporting characters to join Mickey, and they also would become Disney icons like Donald Duck. Donald Duck debuted in The Wise Little Hen in 1932. Did you guys get to watch that by any chance? I did. It was okay. Right? I mean, I did it, not watch that one. I watched the uh, the band one. The, oh, we're going to get to that in a little bit, too, because, uh, well, I mean, Donald Duck debuted in 1932. Goofy debuted in Mickey's Review, also in 1932. And then Pluto debuted in 1930 in The Picnic. And uh, in 1932, uh, Disney received an Academy Award for the Silly Symphony Flowers and Trees, which was the first uh silly symphony or the first disney cartoon period that was in color in full technicolor and uh disney also received an honorary oscar in 1932 the same ceremony for creating mickey mouse because by this time he already started to become such a household name and a cultural icon that the academy gave disney an honorary oscar as a thank you for creating mickey mouse um and in 1935 which now we're going to get to um Disney released the first ever Mickey cartoon in color, which was the band concert. Now, J.D., you said you saw it. Mr. Reddy, I know you saw it, too. Um, what do you guys think of the band concert? I thought it was pretty entertaining. Uh, I think you guys mentioned it when we were talking about it, how uh, Mickey was kind of still not as much of an asshole as he was in the Plain Crazy cartoon, but he was kind of like a serious character. And Donald was like the goofy, like kind of like a Daffy Duck type character. He, he kept walking around playing the song that, wasn't what Mickey was trying to get everybody to play, and Mickey was like, "Knock that shit off." I thought it was <laughs> yeah, Mickey was way more serious. I I like this cartoon. I mean, last time I said a lot of those old cartoons, there was a lot of stalling, and honestly, let's face it, the 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 hen, there was a lot of stalling. But this one, even though there was a lot of music, there was a lot of musical gags in it. And to be completely honest, I laughed out loud at some point when Donald pulls out like after the uh, flute gets broken, and he does like the magic trick, and all of a sudden just pulls out another one right in front of Mickey. That's hysterical. <laughs> that was a good I mean, That's such a dick move. It's hysterical. <laughs> I mean, basically here, everything that could possibly go wrong goes wrong in this concert. Poor Mickey. I mean, a freaking twister hits, and he no-sells it like a champ. It just keeps playing. That was, that was pretty awesome. Everybody no-sells it. Exactly. <laughs> but that's just like one of the wackier segments of, of, of the thing. And then uh, you have Donald, who started out selling ice cream or whatever it was, and then he tries to interrupt the concert with his flute, and then he gets – at the end, he comes back with the flute and gets in Mickey's face again. Uh, <laughs> that and was, it's actually uh, kind of funny good. how well the two songs work together because Mickey's band is trying to play the William Tell Overture, and Donald just comes in and starts playing Turkey in the Straw. And the two just kind of blend into each other for a little while, and it's actually really good. Once again with the damn Turkey in the Straw, bro. <laughs> Once again. We couldn't do that if it wasn't on Skype. Now, where where did we hear that before? 
I know, right? Like, we heard it somewhere. Maybe was in the last episode that people should check out. Superfriendsuniverse.com. Maybe. I don't know. Hmm. Possible. Where would you find that again? One more time? <laughs> That's how you plug it. <laughs> um, okay, so 1935 hits. And at this point, actually, at this point, Walt is already fully invested on getting Snow White done. So actually the development for Snow White began in 1934 and for four straight years from 34, 35, 36, all the way to its completion in 1937, this project had Walt Disney's unilateral and undivided attention. Now, he wanted to do this feature for two distinct reasons. The first was that he saw it as the next step. I mean, at this point, animation was basically just shorts. And... He saw features as the future of the business. At this point, they were producing shorts, and the studio's theaters that were buying up the shorts, they would buy them up in groups. They wouldn't buy just one. So at that point, Disney thought that if they're already buying up the shorts in groups, which the ones that they bought up together usually add up to the same running time as a feature-length film, you know, why wouldn't they go for a feature? So that was one thing. You know, he saw it as the future of the business. And then the second reason he wanted to do specifically Snow White was because uh, when he was a boy, he saw the 1912 Snow White silent film and was completely mesmerized by the story. He absolutely loved it, and he knew that one day, in some form, he would create his own adaptation of the classic fairy tale. Speaking of the classic fairy tale, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, Snow White was, and especially the younger people, Snow White was a Disney creation. No, it was not. It was a grim fairy tale, one of the many grim fairy tales. And I know Disney took... Kind of some lip. I mean, they they kept the story pretty much the same for the most part, but they took out some of like the uh, more kind of weirder stuff. They shaved it's... off the rough edges. <laughs> yeah, pretty you know, much. You know, when you have children in your house, you can't have pointy edges on your end table. You kind of have to have the rounded edges. That's what Disney did to that story. <laughs> exactly. It's kind of cleaned it up a little bit. But uh, that grim fairy tale, bro. That's we'll talk about a strange story. I know, Mister Ed, you're dying to talk about this. Oh, all grim fairy tales are awesome. Because I think back in the early 1800s, you could just do whatever the hell you wanted to children. You could traumatize the shit out of them. Because, I mean, they had like a life expectancy of 12 anyway, so what the hell? Might as well get our kicks on now. Right. Yeah. The original Snow White, I mean, there are a couple of differences. For one, she, they don't just steal Snow White's heart. She wants the liver too, and then she eats it. The, the queen eats the heart and liver. Which, you know, I guess if you're hungry. Again, it was 1812. Was this a fake liver as well? Well, it was, but she thought it was Snow White's heart when she ate it. But again, it was 18... Yeah, well, it was the early 1800s in Germany. That's probably, like, more food than, like, most people got. So she was hitting high on the horse. Uh, One of my favorite changes, though, is... uh, Actually, no, my favorite change is what happens to the queen at the end, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, She eats the poison apple... And she goes kind of into the coma. And a prince comes by. And she sees the beautiful maiden. And in the, obviously we know in the fairy tale done by Walt Disney, he kisses her, she wakes up. That doesn't happen in the story. He just says, I want to own that. Maybe he's going to use her <laughs> as like an end table. I don't know. But he, he takes her and the dwarves are just kind of reluctant and let her go. I mean, it's necrophilia. Come on, we know what he's going to do with her. But on the ride home, the wagon hits a bump and out pops the chunk of poison apple and she weighs up. She's charmed by the necrophilia. She falls in love with the prince and they live happily ever after and they get married. 
But at the wedding, they decide to invite the evil queen. So in the movie, I think she gets done in by a lightning bolt from God. I think God got pissed. In the in the original story, though, they actually clasp the evil queen's feet in irons and stuff it with hot coals. So her feet burn and she can't stop dancing because of the horrible burning pain until she dies of a heart attack. That's Good night. Just... Go to sleep, kids. <laughs> Damn, man. That's legit how it ends, too. Like, it ends with, with the queen's death, and there's no... that That's it. Like this, It's over. Where do we get to Cinderella? Oh. One of the things you forgot... One of the things you forgot to mention uh, that I was reading about... Uh, do you remember... Because she did more than one... I know there was the apple, but there were, like, a couple different attempts to kill yeah, Snow White before that. More than one. And one of them was the poisonous comb, which I read... Uh, was originally gonna be in this movie, but they took it out. That's right. I mean that there was the the thing we're gonna find out with this movie is that Walt Disney was very not only was he a you know talented storyteller, talented animator, he was also a very talented editor because he knew how to tell a story, he knew how to set pacing, he knew how to bring out like you know little characterizations that would like make the, his characters kind of pop more and kind of seem more realistic and not just a cartoon to people. And we're going to get to a little bit how, you know, there was a few sequences that, you know, this this one is this animator, Ward Kimball, animated these sequences, did such hard work on them, did a great job, and they, had a, they ended up on the cutting room floor. But we're going to get to that in a little bit. Let's just finish up with the grim fairy tale, though. But, yeah, it's a... Uh, crazy stuff i mean i don't know what else to yeah. say about it it's just grim fairy tales were notoriously grim i mean a mm. while ago i took a book out of the library just curious because somebody said you should see them it's like really they're they're dark so i got like a couple like the original grim fairy tales and like hansel and gretel holy crap i mean there's all these different stories that you now everybody knows but they've been kind of softened through the time, and for good reason. Again, could you imagine telling this story to your child in bed? It's like, all right, one last story before you go to sleep. And so the evil queen took what he th she thought was Snow White's heart and ate it. Now go to sleep. I'll see you in the morning. Stop crying. Stop, stop your fucking crying. I mean – I don't understand how those stories – I mean I guess I do. It was 200 years ago, literally 200 years ago. I think the stories were written in 1810. But the stories were harsh. Yeah, I mean once we get to like – you know, we'll, we'll do like Cinderella and you know, they, they, they've they done a few – Cinderella's my favorite. And, Cinderella's uh, my favorite out of all of them. With the the whole thing where like the, the stepsisters cut off their toes to fit into the, the, the slipper. And the heel. And, and the, the birds yeah. come and peck her eyes out. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you get for being a bitch. That's going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but I think – I don't even know if this is a grim fairy tale, but I know – I'm pretty sure it's another grim. But it's like the little servant boy. It's like the most twisted out of all of them. It was a story where, you know, this kid's being raised by his aunt and uncle who hate him. They don't teach him anything. He's just a slave. So the one night he gets so sad he tries to kill himself. Again, bedtime story. The kid tries to kill himself. But instead of drinking poison, he drinks liquor because he's stupid and can't read, literally, because, you know, he was never taught to read. So he grabs the wrong bottle. He stumbles around drunk, goes into the backyard where their cemetery is, lays up against a tombstone and then dies. Go to sleep. Damn. There's your there's your bedtime story, kids. <laughs>
Yeah, just try to get some sleep now, please. <laughs> and to be fair on the subject of nightmares, uh, when I first watched this movie in 1994, it, the queen, when she transforms into the peddler, she legitimately, that, that shot of Snow White making the pie, and then you see the shadow, and then the birds fly away, and it shows that close-up of the queen's face. That is some beautiful animation. That is some scary shit when you're a kid. As an adult, it's still kind of creepy. Yeah, and that sequence is incredible, too, because it use, makes use of the uh, multi-plane camera, which we're going to get to in a little bit, because there's two instances where they really, you know, get some use out of it. That's one of them. And the other sequence is when uh, Snow White is running in the woods in the beginning when she's running away. So, uh, but I mean, speaking of that, though, that scene, which we'll get to when we talk about the film itself, that scene, uh, what I really love about that scene is how much depth you get out of the animation because not just the 2d plane you you see there's actually some depth and it kind of gives it this three-dimensional look and disney said that he really wanted to bring out an effect like that for this movie like he wanted to make it seem larger than life he wanted to pull out all the stops so he wanted to try this multi-plane depth for the animation and he said you know what before i even go start doing this for snow white i want to make sure that i can do it so he made what was essentially an experimental short film which he made into a silly symphony which is called the old mill did you guys watch it i watched it yes no that and, one i missed and now that one i mean it's, again it's a silly symphony like we talked about last episode it's really just you know stuff happening set to music but it was pretty powerful stuff like you know it's basically just an old mill in the middle of nowhere it's broken down abandoned and there's these animals living there, like birds and an owl and rats and bats. And then all of a sudden, like, a big storm comes and then, like, it rains chaos everywhere. And what it, all it is is basically you, you're getting some use of the three-dimensional plane and the depth that he wants to use for Snow White in this. And, I mean, it, it comes out great. I mean, there's little blurry spots here and there from what I've noticed. Maybe it was just the, my screen. But um, what did you think of it, J.D.? I mean, as far as visually, it was pretty cool. Other than that, I mean, there wasn't really much of a story. Yeah, exactly. There's not much of a story, but again, essentially an experimental film to see, like, while experimenting with the different, like, 2D and 3D planes and seeing, you know, how they come across, you know, once fully completed and he can use it on Snow White. Um, So... At this point now, 1934, he originally estimated the budget for this movie at $250,000, which is 10 times the cost of a silly symphony. Uh, his brother Roy Disney and then uh, Walt's wife Lillian tried to talk him out of doing this. The press made fun of Walt Disney, and they named the project Disney's Folly. They, they kind of made fun of him and called the whole Snow White project Disney's Folly because there was no way he was going to get this done. Disney mortgaged his house to help fund the production, and by the time the film was complete, the budget had shot up all the way to $1.4 million, which was unheard of at that time. And as a result of that, the film needed to be a success. If it wasn't a success, if it was a, fl if it was a flop, there was no doubt that Disney would have been bankrupt and that company would have gone under, similar to Vince McMahon in WrestleMania 1, where they basically just rolled the dice and... It was the success of Snow White and WrestleMania 1, respectively, that would decide the future of Walt Disney and Vince McMahon. And we all know what happened there. 
Uh, any guy, any thoughts on that, guys? Oh, I was just gonna say I, I was gonna make the WrestleMania comparison, but then you went ahead and did it. So, um, yeah, pretty much. I mean, huge gamble, and obviously it paid off. And here yep. we are today. Exactly. He, Walt himself is not around, but his legacy lives on. He's, he's, um, you know, what can you say? Well, no, I mean it's funny that you know. It's very easy to point and laugh and say, oh, there's no way that can happen. There's no way that's going to work. You're done. And then, you know, it turns out that the, how wrong everyone was. I mean, you pointed out uh, WrestleMania, and I kind of thought that myself, but I also thought Microsoft. I mean, when Microsoft released, I don't know if anybody remembers, but when Microsoft released the Xbox, the original one, Everybody, all the gamers I knew, you rolled your eyes. It's like, no, guys, it used to be Sega Nintendo. That's it. And anyone else that tried to step in lost miserably. Atari got their asses kicked with the Jaguar. The TurboGrafx-16 failed. They all failed. It's always going to be two. And then in this area, you got Sony and you got Nintendo. What is Microsoft thinking? You have all this money, but it doesn't matter. Well, it showed us all wrong. Now it's a three-system market. <laughs> right. So yeah. I mean, it's kind of – it's always interesting when everybody writes something off and, oh, holy crap. Yeah, I mean, I was skeptical about the whole Xbox thing, too, because, you know, uh, when I was a kid growing up, it was just Nintendo and PlayStation. That was it. And then you know, here comes Microsoft trying to you know, like just get in the middle of it. And I didn't go for it until 360. Like the original Xbox, I only played because I had friends in high school that had it and we played Halo on it. But I didn't get into it till 360. And then now I'm I'm just 360 guy. I don't even have a PS4. I had to get a PS3. So Microsoft was my system now. I mean, it's just funny that, you know, the way the world can change. I mean, back then, I mean, back then, we you knew there couldn't be a three-system market. It's only going to be two. Just like back in 1937, everybody knew there's no way an animated movie is ever going to work. Exactly. And now that's one of the crux of the industry today. In fact, there's a funny story that I've heard when they did the commentary. The commentary that's on the, uh, the Snow White Diamond Edition Blu-ray. So at one point... The, when the production shot up to $400,000, the banks really didn't want to give him any more money because they even they were skeptical that this was even going to work. So at this point in the production, Roy said to Walt, he said, you've got to do a screening for the bankers because they're not going to give you any more money unless you show them what you've done so far, what you've completed, and what you intend to do. So that's exactly what he did. He called the bankers. I think there was one specific banker. I forgot his name, but he ended up being, becoming a close friend of Walt after this. Um, he called them in. He screened the completed sequences, the completed with color, the completed just, you know, the black and white sequences that weren't colorized yet. Um, whatever was missing, the, uh, Walt tried to, like, mimic it for him and tried to visualize it to give him an idea of what he was going for. He even sang the songs to him that were missing, that weren't recorded yet. So he went all out to impress this banker guy. And, you know, the banker guy's just nodding there. It's like, okay, okay. You know, he's not really saying anything. He's just saying okay and nodding. And then the screening ends, and Walt is walking the banker to his car. And uh, it's probably the longest walk, you know, Walt's ever had. And he walks him to his car. The banker doesn't say anything. And all of a sudden, he gets in the car, uh, looks at Walt, and he says, you know, that thing's going to make you a lot of money. And he just drives off. And the next day, the bank cut him the check to finish the movie. So, uh. So there you go. That's just a neat little story there. That's a good story. I like that story. I mean, again, I mean, it just until you see it with your own eyes, it's very hard to believe that something like that can work. But it would be it's really cool to think that you get like being that close to the ground floor. Like, oh, I, I see what you're going for here. Yeah, 
this is really going to work. I mean, it, it, I mean, you, you hear it, and you're kind of skeptical because, I mean, obviously it, it's a rough cut. The film's not even done yet. There's some parts missing color. There's some parts missing the voice. There's parts missing songs. And you have Walt Disney here doing the songs, doing the dances, just trying to give this, this guy an idea of what he's going for. And, you know, he that, that's sink or swim right there. And obviously the banker ended up being impressed or else – he, you know, we wouldn't even be talking about this right now. Yeah, and we probably wouldn't be talking about any animated movies. I mean, think about it. If Snow White fails, how long is it going to be before someone actually tries that again? Exactly. I mean, it, I mean, I won't time. say it would never happen because there's always going to be someone to try again. Like even if Vince McMahon failed with WrestleMania, someone would promote wrestling again somewhere, and eventually it would catch on again. But it would take a long time to repair that damage. And then by that time, the technology would catch up, and then it wouldn't be as hard to do it anymore. That's the thing. That's the thing people got to remember because you know a lot of these uh, animators back then worked their asses off because the just the technology wasn't the the methods that animators use today. Today they just go on a computer and it, it, at what they used to it was take them months to do. They can get done in like a week. You know, there's so, people that do that. At, I mean, think about it. There's animators from YouTube that do this stuff at home. Exactly. That's why you got to just admire like the, the entire staff that worked on this film because, you know, working round the clock, you know, drawing and drawing and drawing and coloring and coloring, and coloring and, you know, stuff that we could do today so quickly. I mean, it took them months and months and years to do. And I'm still more in love with this, uh, this old style of animation as well than, uh, you know, the computer stuff that gets done today is is great, but I, I just love going back and watching this old style of animation so much. Yeah, there's this just an authentic feel about the old animated stuff. Even like to go on, on a quick tangent, even the Simpsons. Like when you watch the classic Simpsons and you see you know it's the hand drawn classic stuff. I mean you it, it has an authenticity to it. Whereas if you watch the new episodes, you know it's all done on computer now and you can tell it's just it's not it feels hollow. You know, as to I don't know. Se- season one, as much as I love The Simpsons, season one's a little fugly. Well, that's because season season one. I mean, <laughs> I mean, season one's a little rough. No, but like specifically, I'm talking about like three, four, five, six, like the real classic era. Oh, you don't have to sell me on that. I mean, computer animation it has a place, but computer animation has to be done really well because computer animation has a way of looking really plasticky and really cheap. In fact, I'm looking – I'm currently working on writing up a uh, should I tune it that God knows when I'll get finished with it. <laughs> but I'm taking a look at Inspector Gadget, the new one, the one that just came out in 2015, and the animation's not great. Everything should be okay with it, but it looks like you're watching balloons. Oh, Lord. I mean that's the best way I can put it. There's no life to it. It looks like you're watching big balloons. Any action that happens looks so lifeless. Big balloons with eyes. Basically. And it's not that computer animation can't make things look good. I mean, I guess most cartoons are now. And cartoons like Gravity Falls and even My Little Pony are really bright and colorful and all this. Then you have cheap CGI animation, and it looks so fake. And it looks so plasticky. I mean, that's the only way I can put it. It looks like you're watching action figures. Two kids banging action figures together. Even, I mean, you go look at the 1980s... uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and compared to the new one. While the stories aren't bad, and while the voice acting is really good, any actions just feels like you're just bouncing two stick figures against each other, two balloon animals against each other. It just sounds it really takes depressing. someone like 
It does. But then you take something like Pixar, though. Pixar's stuff is 3D, and it's gorgeous. When you put the effort into it, it can be awesome. But there's something about the the warmth of just 2D animation. Even especially, you know what? Especially when it's hand-drawn, but even when it's computer-animated. There's something about 2D animation that has just a warmth to it that you can't get with 3D animation. You can't get that same almost rubber band physics. Like you can cartoons, you're kind of stretchy in a way. Like think about how Roger Rabbit would move. Like Roger Rabbit was almost right. like made out of uh, elastic. Yet you still believed it because he was 2D. Now imagine what a 3D Roger Rabbit would look like trying to do that. Am I, I making my point that. with that? I think a 3D Roger Rabbit kind of looks like a Stretch Armstrong. I mean, I, mean, I, I can see that too, but we won't talk about this for a couple of years. But when we get to Toy Story, that's another one that basically changed the game and revolutionized you know, uh, animation, because without Toy Story, who knows if we'd even have this Inspector Gadget. That's true. But you know what? You know why Toy Story works so well, even though the uh, CGI is in its infancy? Because you're dealing with plastic toys. They look exactly how they're supposed to look. <laughs> That's true. That that weakness becomes its greatest strength. That's true. Because the humans in Toy Story don't look so great. <laughs> well, I mean, the, 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 the few humans we see, like, like three, I think, three or four in the entire movie, but True, but think about compared how they look to how Woody and Buzz and Woody and Buzz think about how they look compared to how the people look. <laughs> you believe those toys way more than you believe the people. people. Now, uh, kind of uh, to move on a little bit. I know, uh, Mister Eddie, you wanted me to hold off on this until the show. So, oh yes, please do. <laughs> I now have for your listening pleasure, you two, and then the listening audience, the rejected dwarf names so walt disney and his staff had this gigantic list of possible dwarf names and please make it sure the audience knows that you're this is not a bit you're not making this up this yes, isn't like the top 10 rejected these are real these are absolutely <laughs> real names that they came up with that were ultimately put on the cutting room floor so and they are among many wheezy puffy big o ego Burpy, Jumpy, Baldy, Nifty, Gabby, Stubby, Deffy, which is the deaf dwarf, if you know you, you couldn't figure that out. Dizzy, Hickey, Sniffy, Swift, Lazy, Stuffy, Tubby, and Shorty. Now there's a longer list of names. However, those are the only ones that I could dig up from the commentary and then from, like, the article. So, there you go. All right. Was Stubby, was Stubby supposed to be an amputee, or what was the deal with that one? I don't know. Oh, I, I, I'm going to assume. Constant Woody. <laughs> <laughs> or what were they going for with Hickey? Uh, what were they going with Deffy? Even in 1937, somebody should have said, eh, maybe not, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they did they did uh, settle on Dopey. I mean, they should have just called him Retard. You know? Yeah, you know, <laughs> I thought we'd get to that when we got to it. But, you know, you brought it up. What's wrong with Dopey? I mean, as an adult, you're looking at it. It's like, is that like a mentally challenged dwarf? I mean, it's cute as a kid because they're like, oh, he's doing silly things. But, you know, he's got a giant head. They said, well, he hasn't figured out how to talk yet. Do you he know what? I don't know if you want me to mention this yet or not, but since you brought it up, there was supposedly going to be a prequel for 
this movie that was going to come out in the early 2000s. And one of the ideas was they were going to show how the queen murdered Snow White's father. And the other idea was it was going to be the story of how Dopey lost his voice. And uh, I'm, I'm glad this movie never happened. But what's the need for, for not just not just Disney, but just studios in general or filmmakers? Why do they have to explain everything like something that you better I... let unexplained? I think the word you I want agree, is why do you have to ruin everything? <laughs> well, ruin is, I don't know, ruin is kind of a strong word, but... No, no, me... no. Let's let's explain how Dopey lost his voice. You've ruined it. <laughs> there goes the gag, assholes. It's I like mean, Maleficent but also, and all these... He explains it. The movie itself says he, he doesn't talk. He just never tried. <laughs> so I mean, he didn't lose it. The movie explicitly says he's just too stupid to actually try. That's true. So if they did make that movie, then it would have uh, the continuity wouldn't have made sense. Just like, uh, did you guys see the new Maleficent movie? No, but DX gave me a very thorough rundown, so I could hold my yeah. own. With it. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I hate I hated that, and and all these uh, all these live action movies that they're ma- didn't you say they were making a. A Winnie the Pooh live action? Yes, they are. Yes, yes they are. I think That's I think terrible. the ones that are in production are that one, Mulan, and I forgot what the other one is. I can't remember. You know what? Live action Mulan sort of works. It doesn't, but it sort of almost sort of kind of works because Mulan's a woman. How do you do live action Winnie the Pooh? There's no way that works. You either use really crappy CGI or the fucking bears. Either you, they look like real animals, which doesn't work, or your stuffed animals are walking around, and that's terrifying. That's not oh charming. <laughs> and and did you hear the thing about the Mulan uh, remake? Is that you know there's like a petition going on to make sure that Disney doesn't whitewash Mulan. It has like twenty five thousand signatures already. <laughs> nah, that'll be what about the rumor going. I heard that? The, they were going to make a live-action Dumbo, and it was going to be directed by Tim Burton, and Johnny Depp was going to play the stork. That has to be a joke, right? Oh, I, I, no, that, I think that's the sure April Tim Fool's Burton. joke. I, I thought Tim was Burton was actually Fool's petitioning. Joke. I thought Tim Burton was serious. Disney didn't want it, but Tim Burton wanted to do it. No way. I think you're right. I think I heard about this like in February, that about the Dumbo thing and Tim Burton. I think you're absolutely yeah, I, right. I think Tim Burton wanted to do it, and Disney's like, eh. Give us another year. We're doing Winnie the Pooh first. We're going to fuck that up first. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, you brought How up... How many Twisty pre- Trees is Dumbo going to have? Oh, I've heard about 120 Twisty Trees. Twisty Trees, bro. They don't even... <laughs> also, oh, the only Johnny Depp is going to play a weird loner? Do you think he's going to be like an eccentric weirdo? I don't know, man. I, I'm just dreading <laughs> the thought of any more of these live-action movies. Look at what the fuck he did to Alice in Wonderland. I love the story of Alice in Wonderland. I don't know what fucking story he told, but it wasn't any incarnation of Alice in Wonderland. Wasn't that supposed to be technically a sequel? <sighs> yes it, and it no. It was supposed to be, yes. It was so many things were wrong with it. Because <laughs> it was a remake that would turn into a sequel. Because both it, – it's it's both. It's both. Because it's like she's never been to Wonderland, but she's been to Wonderland. Except she got it wrong. It was never actually Wonderland. It's actually called Underland. Fuck you. Oh, <laughs> and, and and the original is, is such a it's a classic. I and mean, we're gonna get to it eventually on this show. And then I remember watching. It was one the, of my uh, favorite books growing up too. I mean, the story just works. I remember watching that live action one. I remember not liking it. I didn't hate it, but I mean, there was a lot of stuff I didn't like. And then I I hated the actress who played Alice. She was she was terrible. I thought. 
Did you like the break dancing Mad Hatter? Oh, don't even get me. That was necessary. (laughs) You know, I think I blocked that out from my memory because I don't remember that. Oh, he does the whole, he jives and then his head spins. It's (laughs) as wonderful as it sounds. Juking and jiving. You sure he wasn't black? Well, then the, the, the Mad Hatter learns how to dance again. Because that was the day that the Mad Hatter stopped dancing. I hate Uh, that movie so much. uh, Especially because Alice in Wonderland, I don't know, has ever actually been told really well through cinema. I mean, the Disney one's great. But again, there's so much change from the book. The book is really weird. And it's really wacky. And I don't think anyone's ever actually just tried to tell the story. Because it would be really hard to tell the story because shit just happens. Because it's Wonderland and shit just happens. The whole point of Wonderland is that there's no rules and it's madness. So, I mean, kind of get back on track here. So, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, Disney did want to give each of the dwarves their own personality and they wanted the names to reflect that. And um, they had a crack team of artists working round the clock on on this movie. One of them that I mentioned before, Ward Kimball, he – was in charge of two scenes that were eventually deleted in the film. It, one of them was a bed-making scene where basically the dwarves are making a bed for Snow White. And the second one was the soup-eating scene, which would have come right after the scene where they washed up and the... <laughs> that, <laughs> <laughs> that Mr. Reddy so kindly made into a video that's on the site right now, superfriendsuniverse.com. I had to pause. Uh, the highlight of my birthday watching that right video. there. I had to pause the movie and just like, I this has to be done. I'll get back to the movie in a few minutes. <laughs> so the soup scene would have come right after that, and it was basically a song about you know eating, uh, drinking or eating soup or however it went. I don't even remember anymore. But you know what? I remember again? I don't want to sound like I don't like Snow White, but I don't know if I like Snow White. I mean, I appreciate the animation and all that. Remember how we said the last episode how you know it was new with cinema and the animation was new. So they didn't know what the hell to do, so they just filled it with a lot of filler. Yeah. I th- I think the hand-washing song followed by the soup-eating song might exemplify that. Ex- that. That's exactly why Walt cut it, because he felt it cut, It was kind of made the film drag, and it kind of took too much away from the main story at that point. So that's why he cut the soup part. And uh, the sad thing about it, though, is, you know, you had this guy, Ward Kimball, who – you know, worked his ass off on those scenes and they ended up getting cut. And this is still when the uh, animation like this, you know, feature late animation is still in his infancy. So he put in all that work, all those hours, and it's not even in the, in the main movie. So, of course, he was very discouraged at that point. He thought about maybe leaving the studio. But uh, Disney, you know, sat him down and he told him – he persuaded him basically to, uh, to stay on. And, and as kind of a thank you for staying on, he became the uh, supervising animator for Jiminy Cricket. In our next episode, Pinocchio, which we're going to talk about, which was the next uh, feature film that he released after Snow White. So, yeah, he animated the scene in Pinocchio where uh, Pinocchio had to fight off the sharks, right? Oh, wait, no, that one got cut, too. Poor bastard. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the guy got put in charge of Jiminy Cricket for that movie. So, I mean, he was all over that. So, um, okay, so the design and look of the movie. So that was all... Um, Sorry, before you go over that, just out of curiosity, does any of that footage still survive, the bed-making scene, or... Yes. Because you said they fully animated it. That's correct. That's correct. Now, I was going to get to it near the end of the the show, only because, number one, 
you can watch those scenes on the Diamond Edition Blu-ray. They're they're fully intact for you to watch. But the reason I was saving that for last was because they were going to use those scenes as part of a possible short sequel to Snow White called Snow White Returns, which I was going to bring up at the end of the show. Because then we'll put a pin in it and we'll wait. I apologize for interrupting. That's okay. It's very I'm fascinating. Curious on this. It's very fascinating how uh, how that came about because what happened was not to get into the whole thing now, but when they were researching for the Blu-ray, you know, to get like the extra stuff and you know get get the uh, supplements going, they found a folder that said Snow White Returns in it, and then they uncovered all these goodies in there. And we'll get to that at the end of the show because that's it's truly fascinating. But I mean, to get back to the creation of the original film Snow White, uh, concept artist Albert Herder was in charge of the look and design of the film. So basically all the animators went to him for approval on everything from the characters' appearances to how the rocks looked in the background. So all that, the entire look of the movie was all Albert Herder here. Oh, um, and the movie's beautiful. I mean, yes. it's definitely a feast for the eyes. I mean, every last bit of it. Yeah, they made it. Almost 80 years later, it's still really beautiful to watch. Yeah, even and, and think, that animation, like what they, it was transparent watercolor that was mainly used, but... I mean, just it, it just looks so crisp and beautiful. It was just, I mean, and and on Blu-ray especially with the restoration, oh, it was just it was amazing. And the animation flows very well. There's very few stutter moments in it. I mean, it is exquisitely animated. I mean, like I said, there are modern cartoons today, and I know because it's sort of my job here to watch them that aren't animated. They have the uh, computer capabilities. I mean, you can just do it all with a computer, and they're not animated as nice as this. Not even anywhere nearly as nice. But you know, that's a testament to the animators and the staff. And now, um, kind of in that vein, so we have an animator who joined Disney in 1932 called Art Babbitt. So what he did was he invited seven of his colleagues to come with him to an art class that basically – because what happened was this is you know, around the era of the Great Depression, all that people were needed work and were losing jobs. So he was one of the only people really hiring animators at that point. So – Everybody was applying for the job. You know, they wanted to work for Disney. But a lot of them kind of had, like, some of them were really great at, you know, animation already. But some of them kind of needed to tweak their skills. So what Disney did was that he arranged art classes. So what they would do is, like, half the day they would work on Snow White. And then the other half of the day they would actually be taking these art classes at this institute in California. And the classes were held weekly. You know, each week more animators would show up. And uh, after a few weeks, you know, Disney would call uh, Art Babbitt, who was, like, in charge of kind of recruiting some animators. He called him into his office to provide, you know, supplies, working space. And uh, he asked if any of the sessions could be moved to the studio. So basically what I'm trying to get at here is that Walt Disney needed all the help he could get with the movie. So he started, you know, recruiting animators from all over the country and... He even helped them out trying to hone their skills. Like he he admitted on the commentary that uh, because they took snippets from like you know different interviews and put into the commentary, um, he admitted that he didn't get to know each of these animators personally because what he said was the ones that he did get to know were the ones that had it were the ones that had the skill because the ones that didn't have it usually got discouraged and left before he even got to know them. So he got to know basically everybody on his staff that stayed because they, he showed dedication through his to the classes that they took. And he, they, he saw how their skills were getting better. And, you know, in the end, it all came together and helped create now this this classic. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, you always hear like little snippets of that with her Disney, though, that, you know, Disney 
definitely goes above and beyond when it comes to stuff like that. Be it their, uh, you know, their movies or their theme park, they definitely take that extra step, don't they? Yes, I mean, and especially now at this time, which we knew still like this is Depression era uh, America, and it was you know all this stuff costs money. So just to think about Disney just offering these classes basically for free to his staff, just to be able to hone their skills and help him and his production. You know, they'll, they'll, I mean, it was something in it for him, obviously, but, I mean, he didn't have to do that. No, but, I mean, he was a perfectionist. He wanted it. Yeah, I mean, he wanted, like, the best. And so if you can't exactly. hire the best, you make him the best. Exactly. That's exactly what all the interviewees said, too. Like, he was such a perfectionist, and he wanted everything done as perfect as can be, and he wanted his staff to, you know, draw and animate the way he wanted them to. And he made sure that that happened, you know, with these classes. And uh, especially now with... The arrival of this particular animator, I don't know if you ever heard of him. He might sound familiar to some people. His name is Grim Natwick. Now, Grim Natwick was the creator of Betty Boop. I don't know if anybody knew that. I know who Betty Boop is. <laughs> so they recruited Grim Natwick for this movie. He was the creator of Betty Boop, and obviously he had a knack for drawing women. So, you know, Disney gave him, like, different, uh, t- uh, different women to draw kind of, like, as tests. So he drew like like a goddess here and you know another woman here and eventually Disney was really pleased with you know his drawings that he gave him the task of drawing Snow White herself. So you know when you see Snow White in the movie that was all the animation of Grim Natwick there. So wait a second, hold on. I love the way the universe works sometimes. So the guy who animated the very first animated Grim fairy tale was Grim. Yeah. That was his like his nickname, but his, his oh his, I was his, just I, that's his, awesome though. His, his Christian name is Myron Natwick, but they all called him Grim. Even on the commentary, they just called him Myron Grim. So no, did he have the nickname before he started? Otherwise, the joke doesn't work nearly as well. I don't even know because in, they don't even like go into like that whole thing about like how we got the name. They just called him Grim, and that's it. So he just basically drew a bunch of woman women for uh, Walt Disney. So this was like Rule Thirty Four before the internet. Pretty much. Nice. <laughs> kept the, where's the folder of that? I, good question. Now, uh, before we get into, like, now the film itself, uh, the voice casting. Now, I mean, the really the, the important story or the, or the funny story is the casting of the Snow White voice. Now, in the commentary, Disney said that what the uh, – what his staff would do, like the people that were out recruiting actresses to be the voice um, – they would try to have them meet with Disney like face to face, and he didn't want that. He he kept telling them, "I don't want to look at the person that you know I'm possibly casting for my movie. I all I want is to hear the voice." So how they what they set up was, they set up a speaker in Walt Disney's office, and uh, they would bring the uh, actresses who were auditioning into like this other room, that was connected to the speaker in Walt's room. So. When they had her read her lines and do all that stuff, Walt was listening to the voice, and he would say yay or nay to the voice based on you know what he was hearing. Now, one of the actresses that auditioned for Snow White was an actress named Deanna Durbin, and uh, I think she was 14 or 15 at the time when she auditioned, and uh, Walt rejected her because he thought that she sounded like a 30-year-old woman based on the voice. So, you know, I can't have that for my Snow White. She has to sound young. She has to sound youthful. So she got rejected. And, you know, little did he know, Deanna Durbin became this really famous actress and opera singer. 
So this and this is when she was a nobody, and then she just blew up after that. So ironically enough, the voice he did cast, the an actress named Adriana Casalotti, she's actually eighteen, but the voice that you know she used sounded fourteen enough for Waltz that he liked it and he ended up casting this actress for it. So now, did he use that a lot? Or was that like the only time he did it? Like when, when he casted like Pinocchio, did they have like the screen up or hadn't like they mellowed out by that? Um, I'm not really, I'm sure by the time we actually record Pinocchio, I'll be able to give you an answer on that. But at, right now I'm not entirely sure. I think this continued for a while. That's just my opinion <laughs> though. I mean, that's not a terrible way. I mean, that really is a brilliant way to handle that because looking at someone can definitely like taint the way you, you can perceive their voice. This way, there's nothing but the voice that you're hearing, and he's probably looking like a picture of Snow White while they're doing the lines. Exactly. So, like, he didn't want his, like the the how the person looked to influence, you know, his uh his perspective of what he wanted and what he wanted the voice to sound like. Um, so before we start on the film, the uh, there were some cinematic influences that Walt used on the uh on this film. You know, he uh. He took aspects of MGM's Romeo and Juliet that came out in 1936. Um, he made use of German expressionist films like Nosferatu and The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, especially in the scenes with, with the, the queen in the dungeon and then the uh, the wood scene where Snow White is running away. And then the transformation scene, by the way, you'll, you'll get a kick out of this, Mr. Reddy, is right out of uh, Jekyll and Hyde from 1931. So that, that was pretty cool. I can see that, actually. That's kind of cool. All right, so I guess with that, now we can actually start talking about the movie itself. So at the beginning of the film, there's – I think it's a real book that they filmed, right? It wasn't like a, like a cartoon book that they opened up. I'm it pretty sure like that's live book. action. That was a live action. I mean it has to be live action. I can't believe that – I mean they were good animators, but that's too good to be not like live action. Right. So then you know, you get a little prologue. On uh, on the film about how, you know, Snow White's mother died and you know she was adopted by uh her stepmother, which was you know the the evil queen, and uh, she talked to the mirror and the mirror always said that the queen was the fairest of them all and until she the mirror said otherwise, Snow White would be free from the queen's jealousy. But then obviously now at the beginning of the film that changed when the queen asked mirror mirror on the wall who's the fairest of them all, and he said. Snow White. So of course the queen gets mad, and uh, at that see at that point now she just plots to kill her. But we don't even see that until after we're introduced to Snow White. She's working as a scullery maid. Now let me click on this. I don't even know what a scullery maid is. I guess that's just a regular like maid or servants. I mean I don't know if you can help me out with that. I think it's the person that cleans up the skulls. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it says here, scullery maids were the lowest ranked and often the youngest of the female servants and acted as assistants to the kitchen maid. So, so there you go. So the, the the mirror finally says that she's the fairest in all the land. Is like 14, like the age of consent? Is like that back then? Was that like, up? Oh, she, she's legal to tap now. She's the fairest. I don't even want to think about that aspect. Bro. And when because, we to- well, I mean, it, it is made clear that she asks it a lot, but like today's the day where it got changed. Lips as red as rose, hair as black as ebony, skin as white as snow. 
I mean that was that was pretty neat. I, I like I love that, and that's right from the from the grim fairy tale as well. That whole description. Skin as white as snow does not sound attractive to me. <laughs> See when you. I'm just saying. Or, or what about Paige? <laughs> the the rumors of I think that's like the skin of uh, the color of uncooked oatmeal. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to talk about why why does the queen care so much about? about her looks when she seems to be the only person in this castle aside from Snow White and the Huntsman? Uh, it's probably just a midlife crisis at that point. It is. I mean, it's the 1937s. That's all the women's cared about. <laughs> Crazy broads. I mean, it's, again, 1937. Well, not much has really changed today, has it? <laughs> from which perspective are we talking? The CEO saying Crazy Broads or the women? Actually, I was talking to my wife about it, and she said uh, a lot of older women are kind of jealous of of younger women and that's just kind of i mean obviously they don't they don't take it to the extreme of they're going to plot to to kill but that, that, that jealousy know. not that you know of, that's right i figured that was true since like the beginning of time that of course older women are going to be jealous the, uh, of younger women so i mean that was 1937 that was the sign of the times just like uh the whiter the skin the better so i mean that's also 1937 the sign of the times <laughs> if it ain't white it ain't right as Kerwin White said. <laughs> so anyway, so after the whole deal with the mirror, it cuts to Snow White um, cleaning the steps, and she goes to the well, and she starts singing I'm Wishing, which is on the soundtrack. Uh, that's when the prince, I guess, I don't know what the hell he's doing at the castle. He's just, like, kind of passing by, overhears her singing. He's creeping. And he's creeping. Exactly. So, uh, he, he, she, you know, he, she he just he straight up her. climbs over the, over the wall and just... Yeah, and he startles her. She runs back into the castle, and then he, right he the poked his head over the wall and said, "Hey, you still thirteen? No, I'm coming. <laughs> and Swiggy then right, booty, I'm coming for that booty." And then he, and then like we talked about just now, straight out of Romeo and Juliet, you have the prince, you know, singing to the maiden at in the balcony, and uh, that's pretty much it. And then the the queen, I think, was watching like in the background, but like. I think when she closed the She was the creeping, too. Yeah, there you go. Whole castle full of creepers. Um, I don't want... Because you two are going to flame me for this. Because it is iconic. And you have to, as an animation fan, love Snow White. Is anyone else bored at this point in the movie? I mean, it's just like this random song, and the random guy shows up, and... Yeah. Now, now but, Ed, TikTok. Ed, it's yeah. only been like five minutes at this point. So it's like, <laughs> it hasn't it's been enough real... time to be bored. It's you had this really cool opening, and it's like, all right, I'm just gonna say this, all right, I'm gonna throw this all the cards on the table. Snow White is a boring character. Every other character in this story is better than Snow White, except possibly the turtle. No, even the turtle's cooler. The turtle's I awesome. I thought the turtle was your favorite character. The turtle's awesome. The, no, the I turtle's mean, the my favorite character. character. Oh, I mean, that was you. To, okay. To do the personality test, what's Snow White's personality without describing how she looks or what her occupation is? Let's see. Uh, uh-huh. Naive, bubbly, uh, kind to a fault. This is just – I'm just spitballing here, bro. <laughs> you're spitballing. You're trying. I mean, seriously, she's a, she's a very bland character, I find. I know she's the first Disney princess and all that, but la, 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 I hope my prince is going to come. La, 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 la. Scullery maid. I'm going to go live with seven guys. <laughs> I mean, I, at this point, I agree with you, but then – Later on, she starts showing a little more personality, especially at the in the scene where she and meets she's dead? seven dwarves. 
There's the scene where she meets the seven dwarves, bro, right? I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself, but... No, no, don't get ahead. We can go back to that. But I'm just... Like I said, I, I mean, I love the dwarves. I love the queen. I love everything about it. Just the scenes with just Snow White, other than the wood scene. The wood scene is awesome. We'll get to that. Yeah, we're going to get to that now, actually, because uh, the jealous queen orders now the huntsman to kill Snow White. And I, I love the huntsman because they're like, but my queen, the little princess. <laughs> the little princess. <laughs> the way he said it, bro, was hilarious. She just turned 14. I have a chance. <laughs> and she tells him to make sure that you know so i know that you you killed her bring back her heart in this box so huntsman takes her into you the woods do that in a movie today i love that you could not do that in a disney animated movie today you never get away with that never just cut out her heart and stick it in this box who's fucking disney would sell that box now as well yeah the disney yeah, think about that that means that box was explicitly made for that she had that box crafted. I mean, it had a heart on it with a sword. I mean, how how, exactly. how more not subtle could you get? She had that box made. I mean, there's – or this is just a tradition. <laughs> so the so the huntsman takes Snow White into the woods. You know, Snow White, of course, like I said, she's naive. She's just, you know, playing with the birds that are flying around her and yeah, uh, you're, not realizing that the huntsman has his knife out. And he's about to stab her, and it's not till she sees a shadow that she screams and pretty much accepts that <laughs> until the husband has a change of heart. Seriously, and already there's, a, there's a couple of there's already a couple of really terrifying moments in this movie uh, between that shot of the huntsman between what the queen had just said and and even in the first scene with her looking on like this this movie for a kids movie is is kind of scary already. It is. I mean, the the woodsman's animation is, like, really good. I mean, his eyes are really – I mean, all the characters' eyes are really intense. But his eyes are particularly intense when he's going in for the kill. Like have, they have that shadow effect underneath it, almost like um, Nosferatu. So she's uh, – so there you go. That's, you know, another – I mean, we did mention, like, Dr. Caligari, Nosferatu were inferences. You, you, know this, you know what I'm talking about, though? Like, just the eyes are kind of glowing, almost like Dracula, yeah. almost, when they make the eyes glow in right. Dracula, the original. Well, not the original, but you know the one I mean. I love how she sees the huntsman about to kill her, and she just stands there and just covers her eyes instead of trying to run away. It was just that didn't make any because sense. Of course, not a good character. <laughs> <laughs> it's not until the huntsman has a change of heart and he tells Snow White to run away. Go, go, go! Yeah. Wait, again, I got an <laughs> issue with this. Isn't that the same thing as sentence her to death? Just go live in the woods, you dumb bitch. Well, that's well, if you remember, like well, if you remember in the Grim Fairy Tale, that was the huntsman's like logic. Like, okay, I'm not gonna kill her. I'm gonna have her run into the woods, and the animals will surely pick her off, and then she'll be dead anyway. Remember? I think the knife would be kinder, <laughs> right? I mean, at so, least it's quicker. Now, what do you think of this sequence here? Because Snow White is running through the woods. Everything goes basically dark. All the, the trees become twisty right out of a Tim Burton movie. They have eyes that are watching her. They have these evil eyes. And this is just an amazing sequence. And the depth here, the perfect use of the both plane camera, um, just beautiful animation here. Oh, it's beautiful. It's a feast for the eyes. I mean, and I love and the, the meaning behind the scenes too. Yeah, I mean, I love the meaning behind it too, that it's all in her imagination. And that clearly gets just how the imagination runs away. But 
the dark imagery and just how things are changing before her. And like you said, the it's just awesome. I mean, it's, it's still a great scene. And I can still see this scaring the shit out of kids. Yeah, pretty much the same thing uh, as as you guys have said. I mean, she runs off in the woods and and sees all all these eyes, and it turns out that they're all just all just animals. But she sees them as like evil creatures, and um, yeah, very pretty. That brings up a funny point. What were the animals thinking at this point in time while she was acting like that? What the fuck is she doing? See now she's with, tangled up in the bushes again. Now at the end of that whole sequence, you know, it has basically the like the jump cuts out of whiplash, like you know, cut, 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 cut like it cut to her face, then cut to the tree, then back to her, then back to the tree, then a different tree, then back to her. I mean, those those whiplash ish jump cuts. I mean, that's that was some pretty neat stuff. And hopefully you're not high watching that scene because that could pretty mess pretty much mess you up. That's a bad trip. That's I, a bad I, trip. I my favorite though is still the uh, the. Um, the debris crocodiles in the lake. <laughs> they, they, like, they, they are cool. Yeah, that, that, that was that was something. <laughs> but yeah, so eventually like Snow White just she's had enough and she you know she collapses on the floor, starts crying, and then all of a sudden the eyes that were haunting her before all of a sudden we find are the eyes of the woodland creatures, the deer, the birds, the squirrels. One turtle, which we'll get to in a little bit, because that turtle has it rough in this movie. <laughs> then again, the turtle has it rough here, but thank goodness he wasn't in Cannibal Holocaust, because that turtle really had it rough. That and turtle I, takes it like a boss. And, and I like turtles, as you know. I know, I know you like turtles also. I just wanted to talk about turtles. <laughs> so she's asking, she's asking the birds as if they can talk to her. You know, I need some place to stay. I can't stay in a nest. I can't stay in a tree. I can't stay in the swamp or whatever she said. And uh, I won't fit in a nest. I'm too big for a nest. And I can't live underground. But first she <laughs> forgot that she admonishes herself for, oh, I was imagining the whole thing because I was upset. Well, a guy just tried to stab you. you, you you're allowed to be upset for a few minutes there. <laughs> so she says, do you know somewhere I can stay? And... Of course. Fucking Dora the Explorer. Do you know? <laughs> Can you pull to the way? So the birds like grab her cape and start pulling her. The the deer and the and the other birds and the squirrels start going. The turtle lagging behind as usual. <laughs> and they come across this uh this cabin in the woods. And no, not that cabin in the woods. That would have been an awesome cabin in the woods though. <laughs> takes a movie, takes a completely different turn. So she essentially knocks on the door. Nobody answers. So she essentially breaks into this cabin. and Naturally. Naturally, right? And then everything's messy. Cobwebs all over the place. It's dusty. The dishes haven't been done. Everything's just a mess. So in her logic, she says, well, if I clean up this place, maybe they'll let me stay. So she recruits the the animals as slaves to help her uh, clean up this place and – that's where one of the iconic songs of the film, Whistle While You Work, comes on. Now you wash the dishes. You tidy up the room. You clean the fireplace. And I'll use the broom. Just whistle while you work. And cheerfully together we can tidy up the place. 
or not, guys, I told you in the last episode that when I was a kid, they I would my mother would buy me the sing-along VHS tapes. And at this point, yeah, I, I had some of those too. I'd never seen Snow White, you know, from start to finish as a kid. But one of the tapes had Whistle While You Work on it. So that was the only thing I knew from Snow White. It was just that song until finally I got to see the movie itself. So that, that was kind of cool. It was a good song. I mean, what power does she have over the animals? She's, is it just that she's charming? Pretty much, like like a Pied Piper kind of. I mean, that's some serious I like, power. I like how they're all trying to take shortcuts here, and she's like, "Uh-uh, you gotta do this the right way. <laughs> don't don't lick the plates. Don't sweep that shit under Put the it carpet." In the tub. Yeah, that's it. No, my my favorite as a cook is the birds cutting the the pies with their dirty little. That's feet. later though. <laughs> That's, that's still when... all I can think of when they cut the like that is just filthy. She's making the gooseberry pies and the birds are putting their freaking. <laughs> well, because <laughs> you have to slice the top of a pie. I get what they're doing, but still, it's disgusting little bird feet. <laughs> <laughs> that bitch was going to be poisoned one way or the other. That witch didn't even have to show up for her to die. Uh, so the sequence continues. You know, they're doing the, the dwarves' laundry. We don't know it's the dwarves yet. We're, they're doing laundry. Period. And they continue, you know, finishing up the cleaning, and then they all of a sudden, you cut to a mine, and hi ho, mm-hmm. and you get the iconic song, as the dwarves get ready to go home. Hi ho, hi ho, it's home from work we go, and I can't whistle for shit, so I'm not even gonna try that right now. <laughs> now, now he, now I don't know if you guys noticed this too, but when they lock up the mine, right? Dopey puts the key back, just in plain sight, just hangs it next to the door. I mean, how stupid is that, bro? Like, anybody could just walk in and just get in there and steal the diamonds. Dopey special needs. (laughs) To be fair, though, they let Dopey lock up. I mean, you got to give the rest of the dwarves some blame on this. (laughs) It's a collective guilt here. Somebody robs their mind. Yeah, seriously. Oh, well, we probably shouldn't have had, like, the uh, special needs one lock up alone. He's never done it right once. So the dwarves come home. Actually, even before this, you know, Snow White's tired from the cleaning. So she goes up and finds their beds and she just decides to take a nap. So the dwarves come home and they, they're they suspicious. Holy shit. This place is clean. You know, my cup. Remember Bashful, bro? This is my favorite part because Bashful gets this cup and goes like, my cup is clean. The sugar's gone. <laughs> That is a funny line, though. My cup is clean. <laughs> uh, one of them should I mean, have said, my underwear of... is clean. Yeah, I mean, what filth do they live in? The shit pile is gone. It was getting <laughs> awfully high. I was going to say, they have diamonds, right? Aren't these guys rich? You think, well, they don't right? The diamonds. They just hoard the diamonds. What's the point of it's that? Like a... Well, it's like a dragon with is... gold. Like The dragon just you could collects afford... gold. You could afford to be a little cleaner you you could probably afford to get sneezy some allergy medication uh get get a grumpy on some uh i don't know get get him into an anger management class or something like that hey i got a better place they could have spent money maybe they can buy separate beds (laughs) that's another good point that's true so it, it hits them that whoever this intruder is it's in their bedroom so of course they send the special needs guy up there <laughs> to go check it out. Well, I mean, I'm not going to be first to die. Let's get rid of the expendable one. 
<laughs> so Dopey goes into the room, right? And I guess Snow White's under the cover, so she starts kind of twisting and turning and waking up, and it looks like a ghost, obviously. And I think we hear Dopey actually scream at this point. Like, it's the only sound we've ever heard him make is this scream of fright as they all run down the, uh, run down the stairs and out of the cabin. Now, what we didn't mention at this point was that when all the animals were um, going up the stairs with Snow White, the turtle is taking his sweet time <laughs> going step by step because, of course, he's a turtle. And at this point, I'm thinking by the time he gets to this top, it'll be WrestleMania 38. And then when the when the animals hear the dwarves coming, they run out of the... <laughs> They run back down the stairs, but at that point, the turtle had just made it to the top, and he gets knocked down off the stairs again. <laughs> Guy cannot catch a break. Are you forgetting, though, Dopey's covered in all this, all these uh, dishes and stuff, and they think he's the monster. That's so right. So they start beating the shit out of him. <laughs> yeah, they, they really do, though. They pound the crap out of him. No wonder he can't talk. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're asking, like, was it like a dragon? He's like, yes, you know. Uh, he's saying yes to everything i yeah. love it though <laughs> yeah <laughs> and he starts making all these faces yeah that, that's a great part too does it breathe fire yeah <laughs> so at that point they decide okay whatever this is we got to get it while it's sleeping so they go back up and go upstairs they see they find this monster or whatever this intruder is sleeping on their bed and on the count of three they lift the sheets and are about to pound it when they see it's a girl and all of a sudden okay, well, Showing. Completely different movie if they start bashing her. <laughs> well, so they see it's a girl and they're like, it's a girl. You know, and they all start putting their, aw, it's a girl face. Except for Grumpy. who <laughs> he, he, you know, he, he, I don't know what female did him wrong at some point in his life, but, you know, she's a female and all females is poison. <laughs> one of my favorite well, lines so, in this so movie order to grumpy i mean uh, you gotta love grumpy it's like probably my favorite yeah that guy's that guy's awesome bro he makes that movie <laughs> he does because he's so gruff and he's so gruff he's likable like when he shows like his when he softens up just a little bit then you like him all the more and now we can talk about this scene because at this point this is where i think snow white shows a little more personality especially when she goes like ooh. You must be grumpy. <laughs> what a bitch, yeah, though, man. She's sleeping in these guys' beds, and she's going to be... Yeah, seriously, that's what I was going to say. That's not a personality okay. trait. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I saw more as trolling than anything else. That's the thing. She's sleeping in these guys' beds. She got, she's got to have a little more respect than that. <laughs> so, so you're yeah. a scullery maid. Come on. <laughs> you must be the one that's bashful. <laughs> And you must be docked because you have the glasses. I mean, I guess you figured that one out. She didn't even say, like, how she figured it out. She, all she said was, you must be docked. You're like, oh, oh yeah. I, oh, and Doc is another good one here with the way he jumbles his words all the time. Oh, Doc is awesome. Yeah, Doc's I was just going to say, one of, my fa- one of my favorite lines is where Grumpy's like, ask her who she is and what she's doing here. And he goes, Doc goes, yeah, what are you and who are you doing? Yes. <laughs> What are you and who are you doing? Which, by the way, that's my pickup line at the club. So <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so, you know, she's getting to know the doors at this point. She's pretty much guessing who they are. And it's not like it's hard. You know, the one who's always sneezing is sneezy. The one who's always bashful is bashful. I mean, it doesn't take a yeah, rocket I mean, science to figure this out. I mean, they kind of help her a lot. <laughs> I mean, uh, 
you know, she kind of pleads with them to let her stay because, you know, Grumpy, he wants to get rid of her when she when they realize she's the princess. You know, you know the queen will rain down vengeance on us if we don't do something. So she goes, like, oh, the queen will never find me here. You know, if you if I stay, I'll I'll cook, I'll clean for you. Like cook. I mean, the cleaning thing didn't really they didn't care about, but the cooking, like cook. Okay, you can stay if you're gonna cook for us. We've been eating leaves. That's all we have. <laughs> diamonds. Well, I mean, if that if all they've been eating are are leaves, what's with all the dirty dishes then? Yeah, that's a good that's point. What, what were they eating? I'm guessing their own shit. Oh, that's that's good. the only on, thing I can bro. come up with. That's why their hands were so dirty. That's just foul, man. So at that it's point, getting, they, it's getting late. We're at the blue period of the show. <laughs> so at this point, they all run downstairs and see that she's already cooking like a big pot of soup. But as they're about to sit down and eat, she's like, ah, 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 you gotta wash up first. And then they try to be like slick and shit. And Doc's like, oh, we washed up. We we washed up before, recently. Uh, recently, uh, was it recently? <laughs> he tries to be all <laughs> slick about it. And then they, she makes him show, show them her hands. And they see that they're still dirty from work. So no dinner unless you wash up. So now we come to Mr. Eddie's favorite scene with the... <laughs> I mean, something about taking a pointless scene and just making it unlike... Not, it was not um, on purpose, but, no, no, but, but <laughs> hysterical. Bro, they come to the to the to the water latrine or whatever this is, and they're like, "What is this? Like, water's wet, you know? Water's cold. It's like, what? Have you never seen water before? <laughs> Courage, man. Courage. Don't be nervous. Gosh, it's wet. Oh, it's cold too. We ain't gonna do it, are we? Well, it, it, it'll please the princess. <laughs> I'll take a chance for her. Me, Me too. too. Her, her wiles are beginning to work. But I'm warning you. Give them an inch, and they'll walk all over you. Don't listen to that old warthog. Come on now, man. How hard do you scrub? Well, it's going to shrink. Are you getting in the tub? You have to watch where it doesn't show. No, no, no. Don't get excited. Here we go. Step up to the top. Hey, no disgrace. Just pull up your sleeves and get them in place. Then scoop up the water and rub it on your face and go... Pick up the salt. Now don't try to bluff. Work up a leather. And when you got enough, get your hands full of water. You snort and you snuff and go... Like, what? Like, have yeah, they ever gonna... bathed before this? No, well, they were like, well, yeah, why are we washing? It ain't, it ain't New Year, you know. Yeah, so I mean, when they, I, I heard that too. So I assume that they wash like once a year, but the way they reacted to the water, it's like they, they never seen it before. Yeah, I know. Except Doc seemed to know what to do. That's true. I mean, Doc did was the one who said, you know, it ain't New Year, so <laughs> maybe he, maybe he does it once a year. The rest just don't do it. And of course, this whole time, Grumpy was sitting on the side having none of it. <laughs> oh, that and we missed before that. Like when uh, everybody else ran to uh, wash up, Grumpy didn't want to go. So Snow White's trolling him again. She's like, "What's the matter? Cat got your tongue?" <laughs> and then he, he sticks his tongue out and then he walks away, but he hits the wall because he wasn't looking. 
this happens a couple of times later on in the movie too, where he's walking away from her all mad, but he bumps into something afterward, and it's all awkward. Yeah, like I said, Grumpy's like the best. So anyway, you have that scene of them washing up. They uh manage to gang up on Grumpy, and they start you know throwing him in the water and washing him, and then you have that great sequence with Dopey and the soap. <laughs> it's basically, basically like the the he was like the chaplain of of this whole thing, or or. Like the the Penn and Teller or the not Penn and Teller, Lauren Harley. Harpo. I meant to say Lauren Harley or the Harpo. Three Stooges. You know, that was his. And guy. you know, I had read that when Walt first started working on this, that everybody who was working for him were supposed to come up with all these gags. So, um, and originally it was supposed to be the whole movie. Like the Queen was supposed to be fat, the Prince was supposed to be like a goofball. Um, but of course all the, all the gags got put on the, the dwarfs. So because he wanted, he didn't, he wanted the story to come off kind of semi-serious. Like he wanted like the main story to kind of like not be overshadowed by like the comedy gags. So he pretty much reduced them to just the dwarves essentially. Right. And I'm, I'm glad he went that route because we got a better movie for it, I think. Yeah. And that's the key to the to this too because we'll get to it at, you know toward the end of when we talk about the movie but you know what he wanted was he wanted that last scene to elicit some real emotions from people because you know if people just see a cartoon that's it i mean the illusion's over if people just see like you know cartoons crying and they think oh it's just a cartoon crying over a cartoon you know it, it, it's over you know you've, you've lost the audience but the fact that actually went over and you know there were audiences that cried along with the dwarves at the end you know that's when when you knew you had something special here he wanted some elements of realism so that people could suspend their disbelief yep. exactly and, re- and so that people didn't think they were watching a cartoon they were watching like real a real story with, with possibly real people you know and you know what i'll i'll, I'll pose the question and again i hope i i don't come off like the dick but I always found myself really like liking the dwarves way more than I do Snow White. So do you think the audience is sad because Snow White is dead or do you think they're sad because you're watching these funny characters that you really feel like I found the most likable characters, and you see how much distress they're in over it? That's, That's really- a fair point because I, I feel like, yeah, the dwarves are definitely more, it's not just you. I, I don't think that Snow White has as much of a connection to the audience as the dwarves do. No. But you're watching Grumpy cry, and it's like, holy crap. And that's and the you one feel that for means these the guys. most. That's, that's the right. one that means the most, because that was essentially the completion of his kind of character transformation. Because he's the one that always held out, as far as, you know, the dwarves liking Snow White. I mean, he kind of came around at the end there, like, even before, you know, this whole thing happened with the apple and all that. But it wasn't until this happened to her that it kind of came full circle, and he realized, you know, he did love Snow White. And he just, he breaks down and openly weeps it's just that that that's the hardest one to watch i think yeah i mean that's but again is it because i, I feel it's much more because of grumpy than the fact that snow white is dead right i mean i mean like i mean if it was dopey there. in the casket which is awful but <laughs> that's <laughs> dopey awful, finally <laughs> dopey finally swallowed the soap we've been trying to stop him from doing that for years now got lodged right in his trachea <laughs> But, uh, I mean, as far as where we are in the movie at this point, so from there it kind of cuts back to the queen where the mirror tells her, well, Snow White is alive, you've been tricked. So she has to figure out some sort of 
evil master plan to finally kill Is Snow it White. true, though? In the original version, the mirror also pointed at her and said, ha <laughs> ha. That would have made it a thousand times better, I think. <laughs> I would have popped for that. <laughs> so she heads down to the dungeon or whatever this secret room or whatever this place is. And well, you, you you don't have one of those? Should I? Well, I don't know. In Ed Barica, every house comes with one of those. Standard. <laughs> Do they come with their own cauldron and Nutsai and all this other wacky stuff? Uh, Nutsai, yes. Cauldron, you have to supply your own. Okay. <laughs> That's, I, I wish I'm drawing a blank. I wish I could remember the Harry Potter line exactly. It's like it's got to be an eight-inch cauldron with a two-inch bottom or whatever, however that line goes. <laughs> So the queen has this master plan, which essentially is, is quite ironic. It's, it's poetic irony, as I think I talked about with you guys last night, where uh, she wants to poison Snow White with the sleeping death, which is a curse that can only be broken by love's first kiss, which she thinks won't even happen because the dwarves will think she's dead. And they're going to bury her, which they don't, which you're going to get to how creepy that is in a little bit, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this... The queen is, is so consumed with hate. I mean, J.D., you brought this up perfectly. She's so consumed with hate for this woman. She wants to see her dead that she turns herself ugly in order to accomplish this goal. I mean, talk about poetic irony. Is that trans- Which like, is, also- is that, like, fixable? Or is that permanent? I always saw, saw it as, like, uh, temporary. Yeah, it had to be temporary. I don't, I don't think that she was that blinded by hatred that she would but sacrifice I, I, I her don't you kind of like the like the like you said the irony of it? Wouldn't like the true like irony of it be that you know that she went that far for it? Like, Although like yeah, she was an episode. She was very mad because she was pretty much talking to herself, uh, la- laughing hysterically, talking to skeletons. So yeah, maybe. Yeah, I also kind of felt, felt like the transformation kind of broke her too. Like even if she was like most of the way gone, the final transformation broke what was left of her. Because she really goes crazy after the transformation, like threatening the crow with the apple, like laughing at the skeleton. And now, now here's, that, here's my thing about that. I think, actually, to be honest, how I think about it, I think the transformation was permanent, but because she's the queen, and as Grumpy said, she's into all that black magic, she probably could have transformed herself back. Yeah, probably, actually. There's probably, like, some kind of rejuvenation potion. Which, right. although, then begs the question, if she has that power to transform back, why did she notice that in the first place make herself more attractive and then, you know, she doesn't have to kill Snow White? Yeah, another thing to ponder, too, is wh- why does she have to go through this whole elaborate process to kill Snow White? She could have just gone and slit her throat if she was going to be by herself, yeah, right? She's there alone for a long time. I mean, I mean, yeah, even as, as the, the old hag or whatever, she could have just got up to her and just slit her throat, that would have been the end of it. But I don't know. It, it's too simple, I guess, for her. She wanted a challenge. She wanted the challenge. She, she went with the apple that old bit. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys see that meme of uh, of her trying to give the apple to Snow White and the caption reads, uh, are you sure it's organic? <laughs> That's a good one. I've never seen that one, actually. I just saw it a couple weeks ago. I thought it was pretty funny. So now after this, though, it, let me tell me what you guys think of this. So it's the scene of, you know, the dwarves, like, dancing and singing and playing music and Snow White, you know, clapping along with them. I mean, this goes on for about, like, ten minutes. I mean, it, it, it's, cle- it's clever. You know, some of the lines are great, but, I mean, it's basically just filler. 
Oh, it's it's total filler. I will say though, at least the uh, the song is clever. I mean, the words of the see that's the problem. The words to the song actually are kind of clever. I chased a I, I chased a polecat up a tree. Oh, uh, and it basically ends with him getting sprayed though. When I got the best of him, I got the when I got the best of him, he got the, got worst, the worst of me. Of me. <laughs> and it's like ho hum, the tune is done. The words don't mean a thing. <laughs> but then. That's it. Then the song, then it just goes on to, they, that was the end of the lyrics. They couldn't bother with a couple more verses. I guess it's just a scene to show that, that they're, uh, that they're bonding with her and just having a good old time before she tells them that bedtime story. Now, right? here, that's, that's the same scene, right? Now here's some trivia for you guys. Now up to this point in the story, how much time have you, do you think has passed? Less than a day. You think it's less than a day? I haven't. That's what I, I thought. Honestly, yeah. I'm not given any reason to think otherwise because maybe, maybe, to be honest, I watched it last night, but you know, my memory goes in and out. <laughs> my notorious memory. Doesn't the who's going to sleep in that bed come after the bedtime story? Yeah. Well, first it's so uh, they, well, first it's Snow White singing "Someday My Prince Will Come," and then yeah. it goes to that the bedtime thing. So that must have been the first night. I mean, this problem they must could they couldn't go through this problem every single night. Well, you you know what? You guys are actually right because according to Disney, the whole story takes place within thirty six hours. Now, here's where I'm I get confused. This is at the end now because at the end, after she eats the poison apple and you know she's pretty much essentially dead. Then you have like you know the title card saying you know. They didn't find it in their heart to bury her, so they fashioned a coffin. But you can see the seasons change. Like, it goes from, like, fall to winter. So you think, you well, know, I, there's actually some time passing here. I feel like time passed there, but I don't think it's – it's weird because that's where I'm much less sure about the timeline. Because when you asked me that question, I thought I was going to be blown away when you said it. But I was, like, 100% sure that this had to be, like, one day because one of the weird ironies of the movie, again, or the one of, like, the you just have to go with it. but. It's only been one day, and they're this in love with Snow White. Like, one day, Grumpy's crying into a chair because she's dead. See, that's why I, I want to imagine that it's this, this is at least, like, over, like, six months or something, you know? I think well, that would have made, you... honestly, I think that makes the story stronger. Then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, so she really did have a strong connection. It wasn't just, hey, they spent a couple hours together, and she made them soup. Well, how would you feel if you lived with six men and you hadn't seen a woman in years? Well, if it's me? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we should Go travel on. down that road. <laughs> if it's me, I think you draw straws, don't you? Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? Done? Except for Dopey. Dopey's not allowed to touch anyone. His genes cannot be passed. You see, you know, at, at least least I, bro, at this point, I imagine the scene from This is the End with, uh, with uh, Emma Watson. She's sleeping oh, in the room yeah. and they're outside thinking, who's going to go in? <laughs> and she's like, are you, are you going to rape? She's like, Nobody said rape. Did you say rape? No, it was his idea. <laughs> I'm a massive Harry Potter fan. What? Yes, I love fucking Harry Potter. I cannot wait till she wakes up and I can ask her all these amazing questions about how they made those motion pictures. Take it easy, Dumbledore. Guys, listen, listen. I, I think we need to address the elephant in the room. Whoa, Jay, don't talk about Craig. That's right? fucked up. I'm right here, man. Yeah, I'm not calling Craig an wow. elephant. Yeah. That's wow, what is that weird? Mean? Yeah, no, that's racist. I wasn't referring to him. I was referring to the issue that's on all of our minds. That what? This is, this is one girl 
Got a house with six males. Yeah, really safe. Ideal scenario. She's like a little sister. I, I, I think that she needs, it's important that she feels safe yeah. and comfortable, mm -hmm. and we, we should be mindful. Who's making her not feel safe? Well, I'm just saying we should, we, we, we don't want to give off a, a, a bad vibe. Vibe? Vibes. I ain't giving no vibes. Yeah, wait, what, what, what kind of vibes are you talking about, man? He's talking about us giving off a rapey vibe. Hey, Whoa! Hey, what the fuck, man? Chill out. Are you putting that shit in the mix? Yeah, cool, man. He fucking said it. You're the one saying it. No one here is thinking about raping anyone. Shh. Well, you talking about vibes is the only thing that's rapey going on right now. Dude, nothing was rapey until you brought up the rapey vibes. Yeah, one who smells it, dealt it, dog. True that, dude. One who denies it, supplies it. I, I know. It's farts. I get it. Guys, guys, guys. Jay's not rapey. Jay couldn't rape a fly. Probably could. Maybe we should just stop this entire conversation right now. If anyone's going to rape anyone here, probably gonna be Danny. What the fuck, Franco? What? Why do you think I'm gonna rape somebody? I'm just trying to lay it out there. I'm not gonna rape anyone, all right? If anyone's gonna rape somebody, it's Jay. He what? jumped the rape idea in his face. Looks like the police sketch of a fucking rape truth. What the fuck does that mean? If what? anybody's raping Emma Watson, it's fucking so That's a lot of rape. Chill. Hey! Whoa! Whoa! No, honestly, though, I mean, I do, obviously, I hope people have gone and watched the video I made, but I really do, though a thousand jokes can be made about the situation, I'm struck that it's never been anything but platonic with the dwarves and Snow White. I mean, they're even different species, I think. I mean, they call them dwarves. I mean, I think they're in the same realm as, like, uh, all, like, the Tolkien creatures. I guess they so, I mean, I guess they couldn't call them the seven midgets. No, well, well, it's 1937. They easily could have. Right, they could have gotten away with it in 37, but then... So easily. Yeah. Deffy was possibly one of the names of the dwarves. <laughs> PC wasn't a thing that existed. <laughs> I mean, the, yeah, things were different back then. When we oh. get to the Song of the South, we'll get to that, too. Oh, I know. That's going to be awesome, bro. <laughs> so, but, so, so at this point, the... The dwarves just let her take all the beds, you know, without blinking an eye because they're so upset with her at this one point. bed. I think they all sleep in the same bed. But but see now, see we we get on dopey right, but here he's the smart guy here because he runs off to get the one pillow that's downstairs and he takes it all to himself until, you know, the dwarves realize what he's doing and they all fight for it. But yet, I mean, he can find comfort in one feather, which is I guess good enough for him. So more power I... to him. <laughs> You know what? What do they say about fools and drunks? What do they say? God protects them. God protects <laughs> fools and drunks. So the next morning, they go. The doors go off back to the mine to work. Hi ho! So at this point now, Snow White is baking in the gooseberry pies, and the birds are putting their little paws all over that shit. Disgusting little rat feet. You know, Snow White's singing Someday My Prince Will Come before she sees the old hag in the window saying that, oh, what are you doing? I'm making gooseberry pies. Well, the the boys will certainly love an apple pie more, wouldn't they? Especially these apples. So yeah. Isn't that, that's what men's. How does that line go, J.D.? You love that line. Uh, it's apple pies that makes the men folks mouse water. There you go. Like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> 
So at this point, because as Homer Simpson once said, somehow the dogs are always the first to know. In this case, the animals, the animals just storm off to get the doors while all this is happening. Well, the so, birds. What do, you know what? Creepy... I will give you credit. Go ahead, JD. What about these? What about these creepy smiling vultures that are following the queen? They're gonna eat Snow White. See, they they know somebody's gonna die at this point. Someone's dead. <laughs> someone's gonna die. So that's dinner for them right there. Because they hear this but old crazy lady talking to herself and laughing about it. I love that the birds do attack the queen. Because you're watching the scene and I'm like, really? Really? You loved her? You're making a pie with her? But the second shit goes down, you're out of there, huh? I mean, and it's the birds that fight. The deer is bigger than her. Come on. And That's a good point. They, could, they probably could have knocked her out pretty easily. Pretty handily. I mean, go, go get the grizzly bear. <laughs> no, but Brought you know who off. goes along with them? The turtle. And the turtle's <laughs> lagging behind. He was trying. <laughs> to be fair, the turtle was trying to take out the queen. He just didn't get there in time. That's true. He's like, I'll get her. <laughs> so the mm. animals make it to the mine. They're, you know, trying to get the door's attention. Like, what's going on here? They've gone crazy. So all this calamity is happening until they realize, wait a minute. You know, you, is it because the queen is getting Snow White? And then it hits them. The queen, Snow White. So, like, giddy up, giddy up. So they hop on the deer and they start riding them like horses. And just as the, the turtle gets to the mine, everybody just runs over him again, bros. <laughs> Poor turtle. Cannot catch a break. That's got to be the title of this episode. So Poor turtle cannot catch a break. <laughs> That's the subtitle for this. Turtle cannot catch break. <laughs> Spitting newspaper hits editor in the eye, however that went. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, because remember, the birds attack the queen. So Snow White's helping her up. And she says, oh, you've been so nice to me. I'll let you on a secret. This is actually a wishing apple. Take one bite. How stupid is Snow White? <laughs> how stupid is this bitch, bro? <laughs> Seriously, how fucking stupid is this bitch? I mean, this whole time she has this rapport with the animals. I'm like, oh, look, the animals are going to make the pies. Hmm. The, I wonder if the birds are trying to tell me something. Probably not. I can trust this woman. It's a wishing apple. <laughs> a wishing apple? Yes, a wishing apple. I'll take, I'll take four. <laughs> no, no, it would have been better if it was tobacco. Extended warranty? How could I go wrong? <laughs> Daddy, it tastes like grandma. Holy smokes, Holy it does taste like grandma. <laughs> so, and, and no, no, the best part about this is that Snow White is standing there with the apple in her hand and she's telling her the entire wish. And the, the, <laughs> and the queen is like, all right, just get on with it already. Uh-huh. And the fucking long wish. The prince is going to come for me, and we're going to get married, and he's going to take me to his castle. <laughs> and then we're going to go in the closet, and they're going to be a baby, and then the baby's going to look at me? <laughs> and what about the way the queen's fondling her hands this whole time, too? She's like, get yeah. on with it. Like, hurry up. Like, Snow White, like I said, how stupid is she? Like, at no point, she's like, I'm suspicious of this woman. <laughs> I mean... She's like grasping her hands. Come on, take the bite. Eat the apple. Eat the apple. Well, what she would you finally do? does. Just, what would you do if like this old guy on the subway came up to you and said, take the apple, eat the apple, eat the apple, eat it. You're probably not going to take a bite out of that apple. Well, she finally does. And I, what I love about this scene is that it's actually off screen. because you see her bite it, but then when she starts getting woozy and she starts losing, you know, her feeling and she collapses it's all off screen all you see is her hand on the ground and letting go of the apple which is perfect by the way it's like 
really captured the scene. No, that was really cool. And then this hideous woman proclaims that she's going to be the fairest in the land. I'll be the fairest in the land. By default, she has to be. <laughs> Not the way she looks now. No, there was no is one else in the two, land. Is there <laughs> only two women in this land? That's all I saw. That's all I saw, too. So at that point, the doors finally show up. Of course, they're too late. And uh, instead of tending to Snow White, they go chase after the old hag queen. And this starts raining. Of course, it helps to know what the setting, the, 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 the thematic thing about it all. It starts to rain, the thunder. They chase her all the way up to like the, the edge of a cliff. And uh, she's like, I'm trapped. I got to do something. So she tries to knock this big boulder over the doors and squish them. But then, like you said, Mr. Eddie, God didn't like that. So he God struck was down. not having this. <laughs> God was not having that. So he struck down a lightning bolt, knocked her over the cliff. And knocked the boulder over, too. So not only did she fall to her death, she got crushed as well. And then the vultures ate her dead body. Yeah, and then the vultures swooped down. See, at at this point, though, the dwarves are looking over the cliff and seeing her crushed body. I wonder how, you know, I wonder what it looks like. Dopey starts playing with himself. It's like, no, now's not time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just curious as to what they were looking at exactly. Jackson Pollock painting, probably. <laughs> but now, where does the evil queen rank on on your favorite Disney villains of all time? Because she's she's got to be top ten, maybe top five for me. I would definitely put her in the top five, maybe top three. Definitely top five for me. I don't know about where in the top five, but she would definitely be top five. Yeah, I mean, she's just awesome. I mean, she's just a crazy bitch. I mean, she's she's intimidating though. Like as a kid, she's downright scary. I mean, you get points for that. I mean, as much as I love like Hades as a villain, because I mean, how do you not love James Wood? No, no child is afraid of watching Hades, but children are running when they're seeing uh, the Evil Queen on the screen. Well, as far yeah, as, she, uh, as uh, probably yeah. the most frightening, if not the second most frightening. But yeah, go ahead. To Melissa, I actually was gonna say uh, Chernabog from Fantasia is up there. Turnbog's pretty bad too, but I don't know. Maleficent's scarier, I think, as a kid. Although, um, Maleficent's my favorite Disney villain, but yeah. Lady Tremaine's pretty creepy too, though. I mean, she's just a bitch with no powers, but that look she gives again with the cinematic eyes and the shadow. Well, if you want an official list, though, AFI, you know, have their 100 Years 100 Movies list, and a few years ago they did their 100 Heroes and Villains list. And the queen came in in the top 10. She was number 10 on the AFI 100 heroes and villains list as far as the villains list. And now this isn't just animation. This is just all film period. She was number 10 on the villains list for AFI. So that's quite an achievement. This movie was in the top 100 uh, movies of all time as well, right? Now, think about this. She's in the company, bro, of Reagan McNeil from The Exorcist, Phyllis Dietrichson, from Double Indemnity, Alex Forrest from Fatal Attraction, Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life. Fuck that guy in the ass. I hate that guy. Oh, that, and you know what? That motherfucker gets away with it in the end. I, I know, love right? that movie, but he does. Nothing happens to that old guy. Nothing, bro. Gets to keep his money. Nothing. He gets to live on. Happy bastard. Motherfucker. But the queen, the evil queen, is also in the company of Nurse Ratched from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, The Wicked Witch of the West from The Wizard of Oz, Darth Vader. From Star Wars. I knew Darth Vader was going to have to be high. Norman Bates from Psycho. And then the number one villain of all time, oh, according I, to AFI. Hold on, let me guess. Okay. Is it, is, it as, is, is it obvious? 
kind of, but I don't know about that obvious. All right, is it Michael Corleone? No. Corleone is on the list. Michael Corleone is actually number 11 on the villain. Because it's going to have to be cinematic. It's not like Foster Kane or something, is it? No. No. All right, who is it? Uh, Hannibal Lecter. Oh, shit, I should have thought of that, actually. That's a good one. So the Evil Queen is in good company on this list. I don't know if he's the the only Disney villain on this list. What's that? Is she the only Disney villain on this list? Disney villain? Uh, let me just scroll down quick. No, because Man from Bambi is number 20 on the villains list. Oh, that's such horseshit. <laughs> that, that is horseshit. <laughs> man. man. It, it just says man. And, and we all know what man. Yeah, I mean, that's not a fucking character. I'm sorry. That's a plot device. That's like being angry at both of like the fire in the Jungle Book. Cruella DeVille's number 39 on the villains list. Again? Higher than, like, Maleficent? Let's see. Uh, Maleficent's not even on the on the 50 list. Top 50, so. Oh, I see how they did it. Yeah, they, it, It's a top 100, right? But they divide into 50 heroes and 50 villains. So that's what it is. So it doesn't go past 50 for either of them. All right, so who... All right, number one hero of all time, Superman? No! You'd be surprised, actually, who it is. Jodie Foster's character? No. Nope. Is Hannibal Lecter for the other one? She's a, Clarice Starling is number six on the heroes list. Oh, come on. What were they, just like, really want to suck off that movie that day? I mean, it's a great movie, but number one villain and number sixth hero? Okay, so number ten on the heroes list is T.E. Lawrence from Lawrence of Arabia. Number nine is George Bailey, It's a Wonderful Life. Number okay. eight is Ellen Ripley from Aliens. Number seven is Rocky from Rocky, of course. So six is Curry Starling. Number five is Will Kane from High Noon, which is a fantastic movie, by the way. Number four is Rick Blaine from Casablanca. I know that's Adolfo's hero. Number three is James Bond. Number two is Indiana Jones. So who wants to take a shot at number one? Luke Skywalker? Nope. Luke Skywalker is number... Let me see where Luke is. Uh... I don't see Luke here, but Obi-Wan is number 37. Number one hero? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't even Jesus, see Luke I, on this it, list. I mean, I really was going with Superman on this one. Superman is number... Where is Superman? I just saw him here. Batman is 46. I just saw well, Superman. Well, when, when was this made? I mean, this like, was it from fight? Two, this was from 2007. The Frodo Baggins? Nope. Superman is number 26 on the heroes list. All right, hit us with it. I don't know. Atticus Finch. To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, okay, there we go. <laughs> That's the number one hero? Yep. He was the attorney, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. It's after, yeah. It's after midnight. My brain's running slow. I'm like, Atticus Finch. <laughs> isn't, isn't, that the, isn't that the book with, like, the teenager and the fairies? No, that's Artemis Finch. No, that's a different book. <laughs> anyway, so let's, kind of getting back on track here to finish up Snow so we, White. We, I believe we were talking about chocolate. The land of chocolate? That was 15 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> See, you were setting me up for that, and I kind of messed up, so I apologize. Yeah, I had to take a line myself. Folks, <laughs> it's after midnight. <laughs> So now at this point, we talked about the scene a little bit earlier on. The dwarves kind of have a uh, candlelight vigil for Snow White, and 
this is really the hardest scene to watch in the movie because they're all breaking down crying, especially Grumpy. Just he 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 loses it. He openly weeps for Snow White. Everybody's just even the animals on the outside. It's still raining. You know, it fits with the mood. And uh, well, maybe there's seven of you. Maybe one of you should have stayed guard. Idiots. I'm just saying. <laughs> so then you have the title cards. Don't you know, collect you know, the fucking diamonds just to store in a shed anyway. Now you can. Here we go, Miss. You can let loose on this right now. So the the little story card says, you know, so beautiful even in death, the doors couldn't <laughs> find in their hearts to bury her. So they fashioned the coffin made out of glass and gold or something. Uh, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> I love it. She's too. Even her corpse is too beautiful. Let's just use her as a nightstand. <laughs> JD, what do you think? I can't. Uh, what do I think about Snow White? Uh, what do you think about them not wanting to bury her? I think that's pretty creepy, man. I mean, clearly for the storyline, it was just done as a device to get her to come back to life. But yeah, man, that's that's pretty messed up. And it, it, it fucks with the, the queen's plan, too, because she assumed they were going to bury her because they think she's dead. But obviously that didn't work out. Buried alive. I might know? be talking completely out of my ass here, but I thought in, like, the original story, I mean, one of the few things that might be different in the original story, like, that makes sense, is I thought the dwarves knew that it was a spell, but there wasn't anything they could do about it anyway. Oh, I have no idea, to be honest. It was an eternal sleep spell or something. I might be completely talking out of my ass. Because eternal sleep seems much too gentle for what happens to the characters in a grim fairy tale. Yeah. Oh, you know what I forgot eternal to mention is uh, the, when they cut some of the scenes, when they were going to do the queen with the poisonous comb, and then the dwarfs came and pulled the comb out. Did you read about how they were going to do a scene where uh, the queen kidnapped the prince and had him chained in her dungeon and like brought her skeletons to life to torment him and all that? Did you Did you read anything about that? No, but that'd be awesome. So apparently, that that was one of the plans for uh, before they tried to make it more serious and all that. I, I think it was, you know, some of those older cartoons that, that we watched. Like the, yes and no. I kind of got reading it. I kind of got a vibe for uh, from what was that cartoon that we watched the, the, on the last show? Uh, the skeleton oh, the, dance. The, the, the skeleton dance. Yeah, that that's that's kind of what. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's. That's no, good. I can see where you're going with it. That's probably where it would be like. No, I was just thinking, because again, again, let's put all the cards on the table. Let's be fair. The prince is a plot device. We know nothing about that prince other than the fact that he shows up. I mean, he just fucking shows up. And now, that's now, it. now, was it just me or did he look like he had lipstick on the entire time? He had lipstick on the entire time. We don't discuss what the prince does. <laughs> <laughs> because just the way they animated him, I don't know what what that was all about but there were parts where you I, could see like his lips were red for no reason and then they weren't red it's just inconsistency i think yeah but, now that you yeah. mention it the uh this prince is actually even the prince even prince charming and cinderella is has more meaning to the story than this guy he, he really is just there i mean he really is just there he just shows up and out of nowhere, I mean, he shows up in the he just shows up in the beginning and they look at each other. The baby looked at me. And then at the end of the movie, he just shows up again. At least if she was he was changed up in the dungeon, you might like kind of like identify with him a little bit. Also, what now, the fuck are the dwarves doing with Snow White? 
Because think about it. He just walks up, opens the coffin, and kisses her, and none of the dwarfs bat an eye. That means that is a much too common occurrence. <laughs> now, do you think this movie started the trend of all these Disney movies giving girls false hopes at an early age oh, of what go, to expect bro. from men? <laughs> I think fairy tales do that. Yeah, I mean... And you know what? I think you're looking at it the wrong way. I think she was just talking about how that she felt she was sexually inadequate. She could never bring a man to orgasm. That's why she sings, Someday My Prince Will Come. Oh, come on, bro. Been saving that since the beginning. <laughs> since we started this episode. Oh, no. Now you now you just ruined that for me. Congratulations. There you go. I, well, I ruined the other scene with the video, so we're good. <laughs> piece by piece, I will chip away everything you like. <laughs> well, that, that is your job on this show. That's your official job title. You're a ruiner. So. Ruiner. But, but yeah, yeah, that you know what? That is actually one of the... I mean, I really do like this movie. I mean, like I said, I find Snow White a weak character, but there's so much to like about the movie that you can get past it. The only other thing I really don't like about this movie is does anyone else think the ending is super rushed? Like, crazy rushed? Pretty like much. the prince. Yes. I mean, dwarves leave the house, and that's almost the end of the movie. She breaks in. They do the whole thing with the apple. They chase the witch up a hill that takes about two minutes. She gets struck by lightning. Funeral scene. Here's the storybook. She kisses him goodbye. Boom. The end. I think I don't think there's ten minutes from the from the point where she eats the apple to the credits. Am I, mean, I wrong? I mean, there really is nothing else to, to to talk about after that. I guess, but I mean, they even do like the lazy storybook part. I mean, it works in the beginning, but it's like, and then time passes. They, she's too beautiful to bury, and time passes, and then the prince shows up. Look, guys, the the theater's about to close. You better start moving. What are you still doing here? The movie's over. The movie's over. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, we're – I mean, you're you're the cinema guy. What do you call that when you say that there's pacing problems? I mean, yeah. I think you can't argue that. They spend 10 minutes on washing hands. They, I think they spend more time on washing hands than the actual climax of the movie. I mean, we, we talked about how, you know, Walt really tried to keep it as together or, or the, the story as tight as possible. That's why we have to, have to cut a few of those scenes. But, I mean, even then – there's still a little bit of uh, like filler here and there. I'm, of course, it was yeah. his first try crack at a feature, so I mean, kind of. Well, I think that's why forgive. Yeah. By the twelfth movie, you know, whatever one that is. I there was a time when I could have named all the Disney movies in order. But Cinderella. By the, is it twelve? Yes. That's awesome. I love that you can do that. That's why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> but by the time Cinderella comes around, the pacing is so much better. And you can't knock the movie too hard for that because it was, like, new. I mean, you don't knock Dracula because there's not enough sound in the background. Well, it was kind of new. This was, this was a new thing back in the day. So, you know, the technology is growing. I mean, that was one of, the, one of the – I don't think it was one of the first sound movies, but it was pretty new at the time. So you didn't know to put in background music here and there. So the movie kind of has, like, this eerie quietness in parts. But it's something in the, today's audience watch, and you kind of notice that, but you forget it. <laughs> So, I mean, in the same way, you do have to forgive a little clunky things with Snow White here and there. Exactly. So there are a lot of things I overlook. But the ending of the movie just kind of feels like you know how to finish a movie. I mean, they, they've done a lot of – there's been a lot of good movies even before now, even by 1937. The ending just feels – all right. It's over. Come on. Time to go home, everybody. Yeah. This is getting expensive. We're up to <laughs> $1.3 million. This is getting expensive. <laughs> Yeah, he just the princess walks up there, opens the the coffin, kisses her. She wakes up. 
the dwarves and the animals start dancing around. He carries her off on his horse. She says her goodbyes. Oh, we even even talk about that scene where she's kissing all the dwarves as they leave to work, and then Dopey tries to come around and get more. That was pretty funny. Dopey wants to tap that. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and then Grumpy's pretending he doesn't, like he doesn't want means. one. Bro, and Grumpy, bro, <laughs> pretending he doesn't want one when he actually does. That's funny. But like I say, Grumpy's the best. And then right after he, he got that kiss, bro. Too. And Dopey keeps going for like a full-on mouth kiss, and she keeps like moving his head down. Exactly. So, no. yeah, she keeps rejecting awesome. him. It's like, no. Stop it. Dude, right after Grumpy gets his kiss, he bumps into a tree. <laughs> yeah, and then bangs he bumps into, into, into the bridge. Falls into the water. Yeah, I mean, it's awesome. Now, the final, final scene, when she goes off with the prince into the, like, the, the castle. It never struck me before. Maybe just because I was having a little fun with Snow White. And, you know, I looked up a few urban legends, too, which we'll do before we leave. But is Snow White dead? Is he, like, going off to heaven? Because it feels like that's heaven. I mean, it's a big glowing castle up in the sky almost, like the way it's painted. Like, all of a sudden, she's she was dead, and now she's being taken away to a magical, shining castle in the sky. I think it's one of those, like, meta-dream endings, essentially. Do you think? I mean, I don't think it was. It's not real. I mean, I think you could look at it that way if you wanted to, but I don't think that was any intention back then. I don't think they were going there back then. But you get what I'm saying when you see it? Oh, an interesting I mean, way to look at it. It's been a long time since I've seen Snow White. I forgot the castle is like that shiny and glowing. It looks like the kingdom of God. Essentially, it really does. I mean, it really does. And so what you're saying is it's like the end of Titanic. Sure. Yes. Yes. That's a good one. Yeah. I mean, just that's all that like struck me. It's like, and how quickly the goodbyes were. And that would explain why the prince just shows up out of nowhere. I think you're on to something here. But again, this is 1937. I'm sure they weren't thinking like that back in the day. So I there's sincerely no way doubt it. It could have been – that could have been the intent. But it's a cool way to look at it now. Can, can I make – can I say that was my theory? Because I actually didn't read that anywhere. Do you think anyone else ever said that before? Can I put that and put my we'll name on there? We'll have to put a patent on it or something. But yeah, it will be your theory, Mr. Eddie's theory. Right. It's all – Mr. Eddie's dead. Snow White dead theory. <laughs> Although I'm, I'm going to call it – it's the theory of <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's it that's that's Snow White now just a few quick notes before we get out of here um, it was it made its premiere uh, in Hollywood at the Carthay Circle Theater on December 21st 1937 to a widely receptive audience uh, many of whom were kind of the people in the media who were calling it Disney's folly and the ones who weren't, you know, giving it a chance. You know, it got a standing ovation at the end. And uh, there were people like uh, Judy Garland and Marlene Dietrich in the, in the audience as well. Uh, Walt Disney and the Seven Doors were on the cover of Time magazine a week later. Um, New York Times thanked Walt Disney for the experience of seeing the movie. I mean, everybody, like, everybody just, like, what a 180 everybody did, bro. Everybody said, oh, oh I, I can never be done. Believed- and no, now they're, they're kissing his feet at this point. I'm sure more than one also like did that. No, no, no. The, the other people said you couldn't do it. I, I was always behind you. I mean, I, I, right? Don't you remember when I said how great it was going to be? So it had a few extensive runs, especially at Radio City Music Hall in New York and in Miami and all over the country. Uh, RKO put – not that RKO. RKO Pictures 
put the film into general release in February 4th, 1938. Major box office success made four times more money than any other motion picture released in 1938. Its original release, Snow White, actually grossed $3.5 million in the United States and Canada. So that's already more than the film was worth. He was able to pay off the banks and he just raked in the profit. And by 1939, May, its total international gross was $6.5 million, and that made it the most successful sound film of all time at that point. Uh, who dethroned Snow White and the Seven Dwarves? Gone with the Wind in 1940, so there you go. A um, couple final notes. At the Oscars, at the 11th Academy Awards, um, the Academy gave Walt Disney a honorary Oscar for Snow White, as a significant screen innovation, which has charmed millions and pioneered a great new entertainment field. So they honor him just based on the fact that he even attempted a feature-length animation film and it became such a soaring success that the Academy said, you know what, we'll give you this Oscar. Because, you know, I mean, he did deserve it, of course, but it was just kind of neat that they did that for him. And what's interesting, too, is that there were studios that had things in production that they wanted to put in production that... They were kind of scared to do because, like, too fantasy, or they think it, they didn't think it was mainstream enough. But once Snow White became such a success, a studio called MGM decided to pro- go ahead and produce its own fantasy film for 1939, which was The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz. Yep, that's right. So, without the success of Snow White, we probably wouldn't even have The Wizard of Oz either. Now, before we get out of here, we got to talk about Snow White Returns because. I found that little section of the Blu-ray fascinating because so they're getting ready to do these supplements for the Blu-ray and they find all this stuff on Snow White like the original drawings and story outlines and in the midst of these boxes they find this folder that's labeled Snow White Returns and when they open it they find the deleted scenes from the original Snow White that they were going to incorporate into Snow White Returns was going to be a short film. And Walt Disney or whoever was involved in this had already created a story treatment. So basically what the plot of this short would have been was that the Seven Doors are coming home from the mine and they get a message from Snow White saying she's coming for her annual visit. So of course the Doors get all excited over the news and they figure out, okay, we got to get her a gift. A gift, hooray! You know, so Sleepy suggests, of course, because he's sleepy, let's make Snow White a bed. So they take that scene that was supposed to be in the original Snow White and incorporate it into here of them making the bed and, you know, they, they work all day on the bed. You know, they see that there's activity in the house and they see that Snow White has already arrived and started cooking for them. So now the short goes into the song Music in Your Soup, which is the soup scene that got deleted from the original film as well. Um, Snow White at this point shows them the proper way to eat soup and they – that. That's what leads into the song, and after dinner, the dwarves ask Snow White to wait while they give her a surprise. But when they return to move the bed, they find that one of the trees they used to make, like, the uh, the post of the bed, the bed post, it's still rooted into the ground. And they try to cut it down. So eventually they find that Snow White went upstairs to sleep in the dwarves' beds and ended up sleeping in the bed that they constructed. So, that's pretty much how it ends. Like, you have the dwarves trying to bring the bed into the house to show Snow White, but... Of course, probably Dopey didn't realize that one of the bedposts was still rooted in, so they had to like basically saw it off or like do whatever. By the time they did that, 
Snow White already went to sleep in the doors' beds. So the doors just sleep in the bed they made for Snow White. And at this point, like, only six doors fit on the bed comfortably. So, of course, there's that one seventh door that can't fit. So as one tries to squeeze in, it pushes another one out. And then it goes on for, like, another two minutes of them going in and pushing one out, going in, pushing one out. Until finally Dopey actually uses his head. And while the six sleep, you know, you know, straight on the bed, he sleeps on the bed post itself, like on the pillow across, and that's how it ends. So that was it's a pretty interesting concept. I don't know why it was never made, why it was shelved, but I mean, as a short film, I mean, I thought it would have worked. And it's funny the way they just crank out like sequels nowadays that think that they actually had an interesting sequel that they just ignored. And it was like a semi sequel, but I mean, it was just a short film. But they could have attached it to like Pinocchio. Or Bambi or something, you know. I, I don't know. They don't really reveal why they they stopped production on it, but I, the idea was here. The 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 story outline and everything was already there. And this is on the extras of the Blu-ray, you said. Correct. Interesting. You said you bought the Blu-ray recently on eBay. How, how much did you get it for? Um, I had to get it for forty, and that's a used copy. So because if you wanted a new, it had it was like eighty, ninety dollars. Was ridiculous. So yeah. I found a like new copy for forty. I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll take it because it's probably the best deal. I'm probably gonna find it for this. I looked out and found it at Fye after it had gone into the vault a couple years ago. So. Yeah, sometimes you look out with stuff like that. Like I think with Bambi, that happened to me. Like it had gone into the vault, but I found it like a Target or something for twenty bucks. So that's where I got it. Um, but that's pretty much it, guys. Do you have any final words on Snow White or anything relating to Snow White before we wrap up? Um, you forgot to mention Adjusted for Inflation. It's one of the top ten per- performers at the uh, North American box office. That's right. That's right. They mentioned that in the commentary um, too, and I forgot to jot that down. But good thing you brought it up. It, it was it was re-released in theaters over half a dozen times, which I don't know how many other movies had that many um, re-releases in movie theaters, but. Uh, I thought that was pretty impressive. Uh, I, uh, of course, it's, prob- it, it's probably a safe bet that Star Wars, the original, probably had that many re-releases. But that's a good point. Yeah, Star Wars had um, a few. But um, yeah, of it, didn't it break like a billion or something? Like for for inflation, or close to it? Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it says 416 million across the original release and then the re-releases. So, but adjusted for inflation, I don't know how much that is, though. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what that would be either. Of course, um, this movie also inspired attractions at the, at the Disney parks, Disneyland, and Disney World that are that are still there today. Yeah. Uh, the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train just came out. The roller coaster itself wasn't great. It's actually pretty short, but the little mid part that's not that's like slow. It's kind of like your your typical dark ride. Um, it's basically the scene where they're mining and it's, it's really, it's really cool. So I know you guys, um, Ed, you said you've only been like once and Mark, you said you've never been, but, uh, definitely no, check that out versa. if you ever, vice versa. I'm sorry. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely check like... that out if you ever go back. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to mention was I thought it was kind of a cool touch that, uh, Disney being the marketing guru that they are um they're always like bringing movies out and then putting them back in the vault and when they started the disney masterpiece collection the first installment was uh snow white and the seven dwarfs in 1994 which was the first time it ever came out on vhs 
And then it was also the first installment of the Platinum Edition in 2001 and the first of the Diamond Editions in 2009. Now, my question is, they've done Masterpiece, Gold, Platinum, and Diamond. Where do they go from here? I mean, they'd have to go somewhere because they're not going to just stop making them after Diamond because, you know, they're a company, they're a corporation. You know, they want to make that money. They want people to double dip as much as they possibly can. So I really don't know what they're going to call it after Diamond, to be honest. Was Platinum done yet? Yeah, that was. Yeah, was... Platinum. Platinum was the last one. Yeah. Platinum, All and now right. it's Diamond. Double Diamond. I don't know. We'll probably find out in a couple years because I think. Oh, the only they could ones do because left... they own Marvel now. They could do Unobtainium. Oh Lord. The unobtainium, unobtainium bro. After, uh, and that works perfectly platinum. because Disney's marketing. After uh, two weeks, you won't be able to get it. <laughs> Aladdin's the last one, right? No, Aladdin then Pinocchio is the last diamond. Okay, because the Pinocchio was uh, was platinum. Okay. Yep. Because Pinocchio was another one that I found after it had gone. I actually found Snow White and Pinocchio at the same time after they had both gone back into the vault. So I really. Yeah, I'm- uh, yeah, as far as picking up the Blu-ray of Pinocchio, I, I'm going to wait for the Diamond next year. However, the Platinum Edition, good luck finding a good price for it on eBay because it's ridiculously expensive right now. Probably even worse than Snow White. And, uh, I mean, it makes sense that, uh, like, I mean, we've talked about this earlier, it makes sense that, you know, they start their little series each time with Snow White because there's a good chance that without Snow White succeeding, they wouldn't even be here today. So you got to, I mean, it, it was the pioneer. Which is, I mean, that's why I'm, I'm glad that we're talking about it here. No, it was revolutionary, yeah, think, that's for sure. I think it's a nice touch that they do that, definitely. One other thing I wanted to say, this is kind of stupid, but have you guys ever eaten those uh, butter cookies, the Danish butter cookies that come in a tin can? I have. You know what I'm talking about, Mark? Uh, not really. Okay, they well, the, the first they, time I ever... In my house, they, they were either filled with cookies or sewing, uh, sewing supplies. So it was one or the other. You didn't oh, know those. Co- oh, okay. Now I know. I know what's. Exactly you know what I'm talking about. about. Everybody know. Everybody's yeah. grandma had those. That's right. <laughs> they're really, they're really delicious. But uh, the first, the first time that I ever had these cookies was when when Snow White came out on VHS. So I ate these cookies while I watched Snow White, and I just thought it was a weird coincidence that my mother-in-law picked these cookies up the other day and we're getting ready to review. It was just kind of a weird coincidence. That's kind of cool. With uh, <laughs> one other thing, on a on a much less charming note, on a much more silly note, have, have either of you ever heard the uh, the old urban legend about how uh, the Snow White and the Seven Doors is actually an analogy for cocaine? Who said that? No. You haven't heard? Oh no, this is one of those urban legends that you see online and you see in books and stuff. It's not real, but people try to pass. As with all good urban legends, they try to pass them off that they're real. Dragon? It's about marijuana, even though the artists say if we wanted to do a song about pot, it was the 70s, we would have done a song about pot. Um, what about Lucy no, and the Sky with Diamond? Yep, uh, that one I don't believe for a second. I mean, come on, LSD, that works way too well. <laughs> but no, supposedly, again, in as big air quotes as you can make when you say supposedly, Snow White and the Seven Dwarf is an analogy for cocaine. Because first of all, it's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So Snow White is the cocaine itself. And the dwarves represent the stages of uh, cocaine abuse, where you have um, mood swings making you grumpy or happy. You have personality. uh, Your personality can change, making you bashful or dopey. You can develop allergies where you become sneezy. Uh, It puts you through withdrawal where you become sleepy. 
and then you get really sick and you have to see the doc. There's wow. this whole thing. Yeah, there's this whole thing behind it. I mean, none of it's real. People just put a lot of effort into things that are bullshit. But it's I was like just watching flipping the through Wizard like of Oz while listening to the Dark Side of Moon. Yep, that does sync up from what I understand. One of these days, I'm gonna have to sit and do that. Me too. I've always wanted to try that. <laughs> I but tried it's it. like the Urban Legend. Really where, the... uh... Go ahead. I was just gonna say the thing about that though is really if you take any music and sync it up with with movies or television, it's gonna kind of work. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, you can put the effort in, and you know, your brain does a lot of work. But it's like the uh, the midget hangs himself in the background of Wizard of Oz. It's an urban legend, but everybody looked for it. And there is something back there, or the ghost in the uh, Three Men and the Little Lady. Uh, three, no, that was Three Men and a Baby. That one, the ghost in the window. I mean, I love urban le- legends, even when they pertain to movies. And Snow White's one of them. Oh, so I just wanted to know how popular that one. If you two had heard of that one. I haven't heard of it, but uh, whoever came up with it, you got to move out of your parents' house now. I mean, you're old enough now. <laughs> I think it's an old one. I don't. I think that. <laughs> I don't think this is a new one. The point still stands. I mean, it still stands. someone has too much time on their hands. There were nerds in the '60s too. Come on. <laughs> uh, I think on that lovely note, though, we're gonna wrap up the history of Disney number zero zero one. Um, any questions, comments, feedback, just send an email to the force respective email, which is fpmpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to put in the subject line, History of Disney. you guys have any plugs or anything you want to say before we get out of here? You first, J.D. I ain't got nothing to plug, man. Well, I, I guess next time um, next time we do this, I'll pr- probably be a two-time father. That's pretty cool, right? That's gonna Congratulations. Be awesome, That's awesome. Thanks, man. And I have all these co-hosts that are going to be fathers. Mr. Reddy, I guess you're next. Uh, that'll be a surprise to me. <laughs> Someone should let me know first. <laughs> <laughs> that, that'd be the smart thing. Uh, you got any plugs, Mr. Reddy? Or I should say Gamey. I, I should call you Gamey because that's your name for today. Gamey. Yes. That, that joke stopped right from the beginning, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Gamey and drum. Um, actually... Over at superfriendsuniverse.com, you can find some stuff that's actually gone up. Uh, there's a couple of videos of 2,600 Reasons to Play that I'm testing out. Uh, I just did Berserk, and uh, another one should be coming up soon, relatively soon. And a couple of laidbacks have come up next week from when we're recording now. I don't know exactly when the uh, publication will be, but there's a serial that I took a look at, and I talk about some of the gimmicky serials of our childhood. So that's kind of fun. So just go look over it at the website. Absolutely, man. And that website is superfriendsuniverse.com. Uh, as far as I go, I mean, I have Force Perspective. Uh, by the time this drops, we would have dropped the summer preview special with uh, we invite Brandon Draven on to help us preview the summer that is in movies. Um, and uh, as far as this show goes, I mean, next up, number 002, we have Pinocchio. And then after that, we have Fantasia, Dumbo. Bambi and saludos amigos to look forward to in the coming weeks here on history of Disney. So that should be fun. Where is song of the South going to fit in there? Where's song of the South? Well, when we get to it, actually song of the South is like one, like two films after saludos amigos comes song of the South. So oh, okay. why do I, I not say, know I that came out in the forties? Why am I drawing a blank on saludos amigos? That's not the three caballeros, is it? It's right before 
the three caballeros and you're drawing a blank on it because there's it's not very noteworthy that's why fair enough i mean i know the three caballeros in fact that's on my dvr right now long story but still um, we'll keep it because we're gonna need it soon well i'm gonna do it yeah actually um we're, it's not a movie we're gonna cover because it's not animated but uh yeah, Turner Classic Movies actually had something really cool that I haven't gotten around to watching yet. They played Darby O'Gill and the Little People, which is an underrated Disney classic as far as I'm concerned. I love this movie, and I love Irish folklore. And after that, there's an hour documentary of Walt Disney talking about how he was casting for Darby O'Gill and the Little People over in Ireland. And that's followed by like a one-hour animation special. And then oh, that cool. was then followed by The Three Caraberos, which I really botched the name on there, but we're just going to move past that. Um <laughs> So I'm going to sit get down it and right, write. Mr. Ready, or get it right. Game. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm going to call him Raul Julia too, just to piss everyone off. <laughs> Joe Quinn Phoenix. I know, right now, big D got really pissed off and he's not sure why. <laughs> oh, I, I know exactly why. <laughs> he hasn't heard it yet. You just know he's angry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, guys. So um, any final words before we get out of here? Just in general. <laughs> Whistle while you work, ladies and gentlemen. And in, you know what? In this universe, I guess they would say, I'll pretend you said 14. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, – on that note, let's just – let's get the hell out of here. So on behalf <laughs> of JD, a.k.a. Drunky, Mr. Eddie, a.k.a. Gamey, and myself, Sports Guy 515 a.k.a. Sporty or Spicky, uh, that will do it for History of Disney. We'll be back next time with number 002, Pinocchio. Take care, everybody. Hi-ho!